You're listening to A Flare for the Curious. On today's podcast, we talk to Monica Munez. Yoga gave me my first window into appreciating my body, appreciating what it's capable of, appreciating how it functions, like just even thinking about it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the show. On today's episode of A Flare for the Curious, I chat with my friend Monica Munez about yoga, self-love and acceptance, inclusivity, as well as Puerto Rico, shifting power dynamics, and creative expression. Monica is a Los Angeles-based yoga teacher who's been studying and practicing yoga for over 20 years. Having trained with dozens of prominent teachers, Monica shares her wisdom and love of the practice at two local studios, Hot Yoga Claremont and the Yoga Cove in Monrovia. She works with students at all levels, but one of her favorite things to do is to help people who are new to the practice find a way in that works for them. I had so much fun chatting with Monica, and I think that this conversation will have something for everyone in it, whether you practice yoga or not, whether you're a long-term practitioner, or you're just getting started. Monica was born and raised in Puerto Rico before going to school in Boston and transferring to California, and we get into some discussion about the recent events in Puerto Rico, as well as colonization, culture, and independence. Towards the end of the conversation, we touch on creative expression, as Monica also likes to make jewelry as a fun and creative outlet. Speaking of being creative, the music featured on today's episode was created by Monica's husband, Michael Radford. Thanks, Mike! But before we jump into the episode, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the breathing exercise that Monica and I did before we started recording, since I mentioned it at the start of the episode without any real explanation. In a future episode, I'll be talking with a breathwork facilitator, and you'll get more in-depth information, but I just wanted to touch on it in brief here. So, breathwork and breathing exercises can be really powerful and transformative, and often clear up or open physical, emotional, and energetic blockages. These breathing techniques have been part of healing modalities and the human experience since ancient times in various cultures, but recent or contemporary approaches can be found in the works of people like Stanislav Grof and his holotropic breathwork, Leonard Orr and his rebirthing technique, or the more popular Iceman Wim Hof, who is a Dutchman that developed the Wim Hof method, which people are finding super accessible since there's an app and plenty of videos to learn from. So what Monica and I did was we got comfortable and laid out on a mat, and she put on a playlist to facilitate the experience and help us to know when we got to 15 minutes. Then we did a three-part breath of filling the belly, filling the chest, and then releasing. I chose to breathe through the mouth, some people prefer the, prefer the nose, but whichever you choose, just stick with that for both your in and out breaths, if you decide to do this at home. Uh, we started in unison, but then we found our own rhythms. It sounded kind of like this. After about 15 minutes, she cued me to switch to normal or restorative breathing, and after about maybe another 5 or 10 of cooling down, we got up and talked about the experience before recording this podcast episode. Methods like Wim Hof uh, that I practice go in shorter, maybe 5-minute rounds, so the full 15 can be, in contrast, a bit more intense, and it was for me. Uh, It's common the first few times that someone tries this to have your hands tighten up into what might feel like a lobster claw. Even your face and lips might tighten up. It's a little bit awkward at first, but totally normal, and something that I had experienced in the past, so I I knew to expect it. People who practice this continuously, eventually that goes away, and I I think that has something to do with uh, the blockages being cleared up. So I don't want to get into all the benefits and reasons to do these kind of techniques, but just lightly touch on what we did so you know what is out there and what we did uh, that I was referencing in the beginning of the episode. 
Feel free to reach out if you're interested in learning more or look up the names that I mentioned. There's also a guy in Chicago named John Hooks, J-A-H-N Hooks, that trained with Leonard Orr that I follow and recommend. He also puts out amazing hip-hop under the name Illuminati Congo. Okay, that's enough for this intro. I want to get to the uh, conversation with Monica, but any links that you might need are at aflareforthecurious.com or in the show notes to this episode. All right, settle in, take a deep breath, gently let it go, and enjoy this chat with Monica Munoz. Okay, Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. It is an absolute pleasure to be here with you, Anthony. Monica Muñiz. Can you say your last name for me? Muñiz, you said it Muñiz? very well. Oh, yeah. Okay, straightforward. <laughs> so we just finished doing some breathing exercises, and I feel much more settled into the space now, Ooh, grounded. Good. This is great. Good. Yeah. I feel good, too. Having friends who practice different modalities of fun things, are it's always fun to explore and, and try these things. So I super agree. glad we could start off like that. So before we get into any fun, deep topics, let's just meet you. Who are you? How'd you get to where you are today? And a little bit about your background. Well, I am Monica Muñiz. I was born in Puerto Rico and I lived there until I went to college. I went to Boston for two years. Then I transferred, came to California. I was an actress for a while and then I discovered yoga and uh, I went through a big process. <laughs> I'm going to talk a lot about that, but it was a huge life shift. Um, I guess I went from a from an industry where I always felt like I wasn't good enough. My body wasn't good enough. My accent wasn't good enough. I wasn't Latina enough, or I was too Latina. I wasn't Caucasian enough, but I wasn't really like Hispanic looking. And there was a lot of not fitting into boxes and feeling like. Um, I, I took that very personally, like, I'm just not good for this, right? And yeah. um, and especially with my body, I had a lot of body image issues growing up. I have pictures of myself in high school, all my friends in their bikinis, and next to them, there I am with a big baggy t-shirt and my shorts. I'm like, I wasn't even that heavy, <laughs> but I used to feel like a super obese person, and I just did not like my body in any way. I lived from my head up for mm-hmm. most of my teenage years. I used to feel like, oh... It doesn't matter what's on the outside. It's all about what's on the inside and not really seeing that it's all connected. And it's a big reflection and that caring for your body is actually one way to start feeling good about it. Yeah. And so yoga gave me my first window into appreciating my body, appreciating what it's capable of, appreciating how it functions, like just even thinking about it. And um, after about a year and some months of practicing I was in a very transitional place with my coffee shop job and trying to become a bartender and trying to figure out what kind of job I could do where I could still go to auditions and maintain my my yoga career aspirations. Um, and I went to a fake audition. I went to a fake audition that Screen Actors Guild was offering to, okay. to hone your skills and oh, give you like some feedback. Practice. And the feedback was, it was life-changing. Um I thought, oh, my, my acting, I got to prepare and do my scene. And after the scene was done, I'm waiting for that feedback about the scene. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, the acting was pretty good. But that interview really sucked. <laughs> I was like, what? 
uh, the interview. I didn't even know they were recording that. And so what they pointed out was that every question that was meant to maybe trigger something in you, like, what was the last job you did? And what have you been doing lately? And just make you feel like you need to be up on your shit, you know? We curse. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I click the explicit okay, box, so we're okay, we're a okay. Not a family show. <laughs> and I was like, oh well, I was doing a lot of yoga. I had just met my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, and I was spending a lot of time with him, and I was framing it all in this, with this idea that. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. Like, oh, yeah, all this is happening in my life. There's this amazing yoga. There's this amazing boyfriend. I'm having so much fun. All these things are coming into my life. And yet I felt like, well, that's all good and everything. But what I really want is that. And I'm not getting that. So I was unhappy. And after that audition, and there were other people there that were older than me. I was 23. And I thought like I was, oh, I was so old. I was like, my time has passed. And here's like 30-year-old women and 40-year-old women deciding to act two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So I got home. I spent two days in bed. I couldn't move. I was just crying, crying. And what I was realizing was that I wasn't flowing with life. I wasn't mm. opening up to what life was offering me. I was just resisting it. And half living that because it wasn't what I had in my mind and I had determined that I wanted. And the interesting thing about it is that the whole acting thing had already become not what I wanted. But I had said that's what I was going to do. I told my family that's what I was going to do. I had all this pressure inside myself. Nobody else was putting it on me. It was me. But I felt like, oh, no, I've already said I'm going to do this. I got to do this. It's know? hard to be in your early 20s. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so that's when I decided, I, I actually shared with my yoga teacher then, who's now my friend, Erin, shared with her my, my dilemma and telling her, I don't, don't know what to do. And she was like, well, why don't you teach yoga? And I looked at her like, what? That's possible? Even though she was just somebody like me and she was teaching yoga. And for me, in my brain, I still thought I had to be some kind of Indian guru. <laughs> I was like, oh, actually, maybe that's a good idea. So I went to training and I told my agents at the time, I was like, I'm going to take a year off. It's been 17. <laughs> never went back, never looked back. And really moving from that industry where I never felt good enough, my body wasn't good enough, I didn't feel like my acting was good enough, whatever it was, moving into a place where it was all about loving yourself and it was yes. all about accepting yourself yes. and it was all about looking for what's good. And for the first time in my life, I remember this moment like it was yesterday and I, it, it was Bikram yoga and, you know, you have to do it in front of a mirror for 90 minutes looking at yourself. First few months, all I could see was the parts I hated. Oh, my big hips, my butt, my everything, all the roles. I didn't like anything. And one day I actually saw myself as if I was looking at somebody else. I actually was able to distance myself enough to see myself like I'm looking at you. And I saw for the first time ever my own beauty. Wow. And I realized, oh, I saw my grandma's cheekbones. I saw my heritage. I saw, I saw where I come from. Wow. I, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am beautiful. And uh, and 23 years of my life, I never felt that. So that was a big, <laughs> a big aha moment to like, this yeah. is the right path for me. And then teaching, uh, just being able to help other students and and just seeing them help me with my practice, like it was just like a give and take. I've never felt like a teacher like we said before I still feel like I'm just a student but being able to be participant in somebody else's journey of self-discovery self-empowerment it's I'm I'm eternally grateful for that wow that's great thank you so 
what I'd stood out to me, what you said, you, what was a big shift. You said you weren't flowing with your life, right? You were kind of forcing, you had an idea of what you wanted to do and you were trying to fit that block into the circle hole and it just wasn't working. Exactly. So lately I've been really toying with the idea. So we, we know about flow states and how when you're in a flow state, you're just, you're in the flow of it. So my, my yoga teacher, when I, when I did my YTT, he said, our goal is to work towards effortless effort. Right. And that's to me that that's like a flow state. That's like a river. The yes. river is forging its way, but it's not putting forth any effort. It's letting gravity do all the work and it's carving it out the Grand Canyon and oh <laughs> all the gosh, things that rivers that's do. Such a good visual. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been working lately with making my life a flow state so that I'm that all of my decisions are in what some call the Tao. Like they say, Tao is the watercourse way, the flow. You know, people talk about it in harmony with nature and things like this. So in trying to listen to what is intuitively coming up for me and good or bad, what should I do? And really kind of going with the flow in a different way that is less intellectual, but still using the, my discernment and everything I've learned in terms of information and knowledge using that, but also allowing the flow of my natural being to arise and somewhat dictate or at least influence my choices. That's an expression of what this podcast is. For so long, I felt like I I needed to write a book and I still may or do something in some specific way. And it didn't occur to me that like, oh, making a podcast, I get to be a part of the conversation and talk to all my friends about all the cool stuff they're doing. And it just felt so organic and so much like a flow and something that I don't want to go too far off topic, but this this flow state and no, this, this pulling out things that are organic in our lives. So like, what is, what is the placebo effect? How do we tap into our own natural healing ability? And, mm. and there's these, like these things we can do that seem a little bit beyond what we understand, but it, they're, they're just out of reach. And if we soften up to them a little bit and we, we listen a little bit more openly to what's coming up within us, um, it's, it's not so much effort and I'm finding effortless effort to be the case in my day to day a lot yeah. more regularly. I mean, I'm still I still have difficulties and I oh, yeah. I still get frustrated when my, my you know my dog barks at the guy across the street when I'm walking him or whatever. But um, you know, ultimately, yeah. like my bigger decisions, like the small day to day stuff, I'm still working with my neuroses. But the bigger decisions right. are just not a big deal anymore. Like I told you, I'm considering yeah. I'm about to graduate this. I'm entering senior year. Do I go to grad school or not? You know, I I don't think it's such a big decision whatever i do i know it's going to work out <laughs> right i have no doubt i yeah. have no doubt that's very interesting you said that the placebo effect i'm curious about what you mean by that so the placebo effect you take a sugar pill and you heal i mean right? yeah i know what it is but in, yeah no, okay keep going so you have to trick yourself into healing right right how can we just heal Without having to take a sugar pill. <laughs> right. How can right. we access that state? Like you believe state? it's going to happen so much, it just happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like a flow state comes from when typically, generally speaking, you have mastered your craft. Let's say you're cooking. So you're in a kitchen and you're cooking up 10 plates and you're not even giving a single thought to any of it. And everything's coming out perfectly and you're just in the flow of it and everything's coming and going and you're just in the flow. And that's because mm. you've mastered your craft. But it, you don't necessarily have to spend 10,000 hours mastering your craft to find that flow state. Right, It's right. natural. It's organic. It's the river. Well, <laughs> and can I, can I take pause there and say that I think that maybe even after you've cooked 10,000 hours and you're like really good at it, you're still going to make a mistake sometimes. Yeah. And there's still going to be something that spills and something that burns. And, and 
and you're still in your flow state, right? Like to to think that everything's going to come out perfect could be a dangerous idea to think that if I'm in my flow state, then nothing can go wrong. No, right? it's, 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 uh, I guess it's what they do in, in some forms of martial arts. If somebody attacks you, you use their own momentum to right. keep them moving. So yeah, when you're in the flow of what is things that you might typically take in as a problem or bad or, or wrong, you can work with and right. through your alchemical flow state, <laughs> Make you tra- it into transmute a, yeah, it into yeah. <laughs> something great. Exactly. Yeah. I so, love that idea of like, I, I see what you mean. And, and I see that. That person that is in that flow state in the kitchen, what they do is, yeah, they use that mistake and they try to make something out of it or they start over without feeling like they're a failure, right? I mm-hmm. think that's the the biggest thing with being in flow state is that you don't take it so personally where you understand that you are working with a bigger energy, that it's not all up to us, right? That there's going to be things out of our control that are going to come into play and to not take that as a signal of personal failure, or like we're not good enough. I, that's my absolutely. My take on that. I don't know about your experience, but for me, when I'm in a state of flow, the the personal aspect is somewhat removed. I I'm, I see that. I'm not really yeah. thinking about me. I'm not taking it personally. If if we're all working together and you make a mistake, I'm definitely not going to take it personally. I'm going to flow with it, right? Right, right, right. right. So I I feel yeah I feel a little bit removed from that 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 personal aspect that forces you to over intellectualize thing and intellectualize things and would in essence remove you from that flow state if you gave into that temptation. Right. Fell right. back into that that over analytical way looking of thinking. Looking for blame and looking for. Blame or, or just even reasoning. Right. Like right. it's it's really Couldn't understand why. <laughs> yeah. Like what is is that like something has fallen and it needs to be picked up. You don't need to understand gravity in this moment. <laughs> you know, it, it's the parable of the arrow. Like, in how Buddhism. did that fall? I, I thought I put it in the right spot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I love that. so yeah, I think um, learning to listen to ourselves, which yoga is extremely helpful for um for me at least has allowed allowed my life to become more of a flow and i know we were talking about i've had a home practice now for about a year and a half and while i i can definitely probably go for a tune-up and come in and see a teacher i can use some some alignment cues um allowing me to have that time to myself has let me really listen quietly i'm not getting any cues from a teacher or okay it's time to leave the studio now (laughs) you know i can really sit when i need to sit or push it when I want to push it in different ways. And and the listening has allowed me so much of a deeper connection to my body, which I really neglected when I started meditating. I thought it was all about being up in the head. Ah, right, right, right. <laughs> Little did I know that everything's connected. So now I'm understanding my body more, more patient with it. It teaches me to listen to myself, which helps me to listen to the seemingly external environment. And the external and internal become just all part of the flow and, and things things are, I'm happy to say, getting uh, a little more smooth in my turbulent life. So. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that idea of being able to listen, that, when you said that word quietly, um, that's huge mm-hmm. because you're right. In a, in a group setting, there's something you get that you don't get when you're alone, but that capacity, I remember even in, in the Bikram yoga context um they used to have these silent classes because it's the same routine so once you know the routine so we would get together and just have the class in silence and those were my favorites because you really did get i could actually hear my own breath and i could actually feel what was going on in my body and i already had a lot of the cues in my mind at that point so i i can totally relate to that Mm. yeah i think that 
that makes me think of the conversation I've often heard come up about whether or not to play music in a yoga class. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there can be a lot of fun to be had with that. Yep. But there's definitely something special about being able to hear your breath or if the teacher can hear when you are having difficulty with your breath and they can come offer you some guidance or assistance. Right. Things like that. It's and a much more intimate when we can hear what we are each experiencing. And it's really funny because my whole yoga career I never played with music and it's only in the mm. last few years I've actually incorporated a little music into my classes ah. and I have it really low and it's kind of in the background but I was finding in the classes that I was attending that had music that there was um, I felt like something was carrying me a little bit more there was a sense of in the moment of challenge the music was there to kind of give me a little bit of lift and yeah. uh and I just enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll play with that. One of the things I, I've made very clear to most of my students, especially in my other yoga classes, the flow classes, the quote-unquote vinyasa, which I called aligned flow because I don't like the whole fast-moving vinyasa world. Um, and I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so the alignment and the vinyasa. Uh, so le let's let's um, let's go back. Let's back yeah. it up a little bit. So you you said you came to yoga, all these things, but um, today you let's uh, your titles. Your you teach yoga at a couple of different places. One of them is a hot yoga. Yes, I center. teach at Hot Yoga Claremont, and Which, I teach. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, and I teach at Yoga Cove in Monrovia. Great. So that's where I met you, Yoga Cove in Monrovia. Yes. Love that place. <laughs> um, and yeah. the Hot Yoga Claremont used to be a Bikram yoga. Yes. And so the styles that you are certified in, your EYRT 500 in both Bikram and Anusara. Well, Bikram doesn't really go with the Yoga Alliance thing. Uh, so, but I am, I, I stopped paying to Yoga Alliance recently. Yes, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, I don't uh, agree with necessarily them taking money for something that I yeah. didn't feel had the, I didn't need it at this point, you know, but I trained in Anusara mainly. I studied with a lot of the Anusara teachers that now have gone off and done their whole other thing, yeah. which is pretty impressive and awesome. I studied with Noah Maze, Tara Judell, Sienna Sherman, Amy Politi, just to name a few. Wow. Um, yeah, Russ Rayburn, trying to think of the teachers that I did training with, uh, Tiffany Frazier. I really felt very lucky, Mark Holzman. Um, obviously, my main teacher that I feel helped me individually and personally with my practice is Alma, Alma White, who was the owner of Yoga Cove. She was, she's always been a mentor to me. And um, think, I think she took my practice to a different level at a, at a time when I needed that. And, uh, and then, of course, there's been hundreds of other teachers along the way. But just in terms of taking trainings, those were the main trainings, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what I was going to say is I made very clear to my students, when I picked up teaching again because I took a year off for a shoulder injury and I re readdressed my relationship to the practice, uh, especially to the flow practice, was that my classes are viable to change and I'm not going to stick to an idea of what it's supposed to be. And so one, one day you'll come and maybe that day we're doing like a lot of core and we're working, we're using the sandbags and building some strength. And the next time it might be like mostly restorative and yin. And I, I like to mix it up. Like I feel like I like to read the room, see who shows up, what the day is feeling like. And so I like that idea of not coming in knowing what you're going to get, which mm -hmm. is 
a different situation than Bikram, right? I still teach those classes and people know what they're coming for, yes. for that. And yes. there's something very valuable in knowing what you're going to go through and showing up. I love that. But also having those classes where we are more like able to go with what, what we're feeling. I'm able to read the room, how people are moving, what's needed. I come in with a plan and well, maybe like 80% of the time I don't follow it. Like I'll just end up doing something else. But I still to this day come in with at least an idea of what I want to work on. I, yeah. I always feel more confident if I've given it some thought. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's been my experience in your classes too. So I've gone to the dynamic classes, not the set sequence class. Right. And and yeah, I, I hear you in, when you talk to us in the beginning and kind of see how it plays out. And maybe we change it up in the middle. You're like, oh, I was going to do this, but let's, <laughs> let's do this instead. And I, and I, I like it. Um, I've fallen back to a set uh, it's pretty daily, consistent, same practice. Um, but having, yeah, you obviously attract different kinds of people in different classes. Yeah. And you have students showing up to both. So people like different things at different times. And what's accessible to people at different times is different. Yes. And I think that we all need a little bit different practice at different times. So there was a time Bikram was exactly right for me. I needed that set sequence just to be able to see my own progress. Mm -hmm. I, I think I wouldn't have stuck with it. If it was new every time, if I had started in a vinyasa class, I might have been like, oh, I'm not seeing the progress, right? And the fact that I, I started in Bikram Yoga Pasadena and they had a 10 days for $20 intro and I did nine days of those 10 days. And in those nine days, I could actually see physical progress. I was like, oh, I couldn't touch my toes and now I can. Oh, wait, I can't. Oh, you mean I can actually get better at this? <laughs> and I'm not kidding when I say I know I was 23. I should have learned this a long time before. <laughs> but I really learned like, oh, you you don't have to already naturally be good at something. You can actually improve if you practice. And then I was like, well, let me let me see if I can learn how to juggle. And I can kind of juggle now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, like, okay. I think that was maybe one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, around that age too. Maybe I was 19 or 20 and I was in a, a serious relationship and we were having struggles and, and I – identified something that I was doing that I didn't like and I made an effort to change it and I changed it and I was like, holy shit, yes. I'm capable of change. <laughs> this changes everything. Yes. <laughs> and from that point on, I've meticulously tried to make it better myself. No, yeah. <laughs> it's a balance. It's a balance. It so you trained in Anusara and Bikram and Bikram is a, a set sequence. It's hot yoga. It's a standing sequence, so you're not yes. bearing weight on your arms. So it's yeah. more more accessible to some people, despite the intensity of the exactly. heat. Exactly. <laughs> it's all standing on floor poses, no headstand, no arm balances. No. Mm -hmm. So it is. Like you get people that have never worked out in their life. They could be in their 60s, 70s. They try yoga for the first time, and it is accessible. A form of the postures that we teach is going to be doable. Nice. And I love working with people like that. I love yes. my, my favorite. I feel like my gift is working with beginners. Mm-hmm. Because it is that moment of like, aha, oh, wait, th this isn't just for those yogis I see on Instagram. And like people feel so intimidated by yoga. And that's one of the one of my goals is to demystify yoga, demystify the idea or like make it less intimidating. And to remember that, you know, we all have a body <laughs> and we all have a yes. yoga body. <laughs> like I think uh, there's a big conversation that's super important right now happening in a lot of circles about yeah. inclusivity. Yes. And. Uh, using the right language like not everybody can do that with their body so make sure you're articulating your posture exactly. request in an appropriate way for to make everybody feel included yes um, and that comes with practice as a teacher I think I mean it's great if yes. you can take a training for that I think that that's starting to happen mm -hmm. um, I know Diane Bondi she's a, a woman I got to train together with we went to Amy Politi's training together and she's 
amazing because she has done a whole training on inclusivity for bigger bodies and and she happens to be black as well so inclusivity in all ways mm-hmm. um i really admire that because it takes a while as a teacher to learn how to modify things for bodies that are not just like everybody else you know and like some people come in they have a shorter leg than the other leg or like they have the that to be able to make the room work for everybody and make everybody feel like wherever they are they can make some progress from themselves and that they're okay where they are they don't even need to get anywhere just yes. being where you are and being okay with that that's huge to me yeah absolutely yeah it was a powerful shift in my practice when that was pointed out to me like oh you know what like not everybody's body is going to look like the perfect form of the posture <laughs> It was pointed out to me, you know, you can you can work for a couple months and start to stretch your muscles. You can work for a couple years and start to get into your fascia, but your bones are never going to change. So some people are physically never going to be able to make their heels come all the way down in downward dog or <laughs> things right, like this. Right. For There's some people, certain... it doesn't matter how long you practice and try. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And so like, that, that just something like me. Garudasana, eagle pose, which we teach in Bikram, is mm-hmm. one of those. It's like oh. the length of your limbs, the length of your limbs for your shoulders, for your to be able to wrap your leg around the other one to wrap the elbows. Is I that see the it issue? Is that the, yeah. the I mean, issue the that keeps are also, it? yeah, if you have a little bit thicker thighs, there's times yeah. when I've been a little heavier and I can't get my leg around and there's times I'm a little thinner, I can. And it's just like, even a few inches can make a difference there. So yeah, the idea that everybody can access every pose is definitely debunked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in, in most yoga communities, but people still come in with that idea. They look at the poster, they look at the Instagram thing. They're like, Yogi see, Yogi do. Yeah. You know, there's even a whole, a whole page called that. And I yeah. follow it. I enjoy looking at the cool shapes they can create. But yeah, I don't, I don't try to put myself in those positions most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I think maybe it's important for long-term practitioners and teachers who may have internalized this understanding of inclusivity to keep talking about it because as new people come or People are on the periphery because they're afraid to come. They need to still hear that. And I think inclusivity doesn't just extend to body shaming. It's also making the practice accessible. So there's a, you know, I I go to this this Buddhist university and they they, they do meditation in the jails and they're always inviting people to... to go and work with the incarcerated peoples and they, they want to learn yoga and there's a prison yoga project and yes. bringing it to those, uh, th- those people in need there, as well as so many other outreach to other underserved populations or people who, who can't afford uh, the increasing price of a class or a totally. workshop or a, or a teacher training. Um, some, another aspect of inclusivity that I've enjoyed experiencing is maybe not everybody wants to be touched. So a lot of mm-hmm. teachers now are using uh, tokens or chips that you can flip over when you do or do not want to get an adjustment. <laughs> I actually bought those and I have them. I must admit, I tried bringing them in the room a few times and it didn't really take off. So I've stopped bringing them in. But I do, when I have a, a new person in my class, I'll ask them, are you okay with physical adjustment? Like Just like I ask, do you have an injury? Yeah, I'll ask, like, well, how are you feeling? You have an injury, anything I should know about? And I'll be like, are you okay with physical touch? And then that clears it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've had a couple of people like, yeah, I prefer not. And then I just give them verbal, verbal cues and that works perfect. Yeah. Um, I tend to be pretty hands-on considering yes. how a lot of teachers are now. I know in the whole Bikram world, there was a whole like, don't touch the students after a while. But I, I take it and it wasn't like that when I went to training in 2002. But I realized it's like, well, they're training 300 people. You can't train 300 people how to touch. Yeah. (laughs) And I was lucky enough that one of my trainings I did with Amy Politi was, I I don't know if it was an actual training or just a workshop, but it was like a weekend workshop 
on physical adjustments. And she was fantastic with that. And so I felt very, um, back then, I have to say, the Anusara world, there was so much greatness in it because the community was very um, close-knit, not mm -hmm. in an exclusive way. I felt like it was very inclusive. Once you became a part of it, you were welcome. But uh, that you would travel to go study with this teacher. You would hear about different teachers and what they were doing, and you would travel to study with them. I feel like after the Anusara world disbanded, I, I feel like more like we're all like floating out in space, and we're all yeah. kind of on my own here. Um, but that also has given us some freedom. And I, every one of my teacher friends and people that I know have expanded and taken it on to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. But um, But there was definitely... Uh, a community aspect that I miss yes. in terms of, you know, that particular thing about touching. It, it was a it was a practice that we did a lot of partner work. Mm -hmm. We learned how to do that. And nowadays in trainings, I don't think that they're taking the time. I don't know. I haven't been to a training in maybe like five years, 10. I did one a couple years ago when I was in India. We did do a lot of partner training, partner practice uh, so for our adjustments. Touch with our, a big I mean, our, part. our classes were maybe 30 or 40. Okay. And so it's, you know, it's small enough but you know a big right. group that we, we we definitely need to partner up we can't all have teacher time <laughs> right right and you can practice on each other yeah. and, and check in and ask yeah. there's a, a small enough group that you could ask questions right. at the end right. and or during um but i just want to say one more thing yeah. about the, the the tokens um oh, yeah. i think so my experience with you in a class like you're very uh personable so you you're friends with the students in your class for the most part you know they're, they're not a huge classes so you're able to do that it's like uh, I, I haven't been out to claremont but the cove it's a it's a, a, a yeah cove, the a cove, cove is definitely it's a, a cove tiny, yeah it's a cove right claremont, we get like 30, 30 okay. people at, you know the most yeah 20 25 is average mm -hmm. but for my flow classes is smaller we have a smaller room upstairs yes. so those are like maybe like 10 12 okay yeah so it's still small enough that feels very personal yeah so the thing I wanted to say about the coins is that I think uh, it's not the, the having the thing that you can flip over is about ongoing consent. Mm. It's not about permission at the beginning of the class because the thing about ongoing consent is it can change moment to moment. Oh, that's and a very so good. In the middle of the class, you can change flip your mind it. ten times How if you want, as many times as you want. And so it's it's not just about the initial consent, but ongoing consent wow that's a very interesting i like that in the I conversation like around consent that. if you're talking about sexual intimacy right you might say it's okay now and then we go keep going and you're like oh i changed my mind i don't want to do this and that's okay right, right? 100%. so that's the same thing applies to the yoga mat yeah yeah i, I, mean, I like <laughs> that idea no, no, no. i'm gonna give that some thought yeah um but i mean my experience in your classes is everybody is just it's it's it, it is that community environment and i feel um uh, Everybody's, of course, individual, and you can't read somebody's mind. Right. But I mean, I would tell you, but <laughs> I'm a I'm an outspoken person in a different way than a lot of people are. Right. So giving right, them that right. option, even if maybe they don't seem like they're enthusiastic about having it right away, you know, they might you actually use know. it. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm gonna think about you know. that. I'll take that in. Yeah, I I just in, enjoyed seeing that made available to the students in the classes where I experienced it, and I just yeah, definitely made me think about it a lot more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So you did Bikram and you've done Anusara and Anusara is alignment focused. This is something that I've, uh, enjoyed from taking your classes. You've got, um, you've got this background in alignment. So some of your cues are a little bit unique and made me think about things in different ways and help me get into my body. The whole thing about 
uh, you know, I, I tend to hunch forward and mm -hmm. you said, you know, bring your, your chin back and it brings your chest out. And, and that has changed my life off the mat. Oh, wow. Because, <laughs> you hey, know, it just, know. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's a really interesting alignment cue. And you pointed out to me the, what was it? The wheels? Alignment wheels, the what oh, is this yeah, one? Yeah, the spirals, the spirals, the, like different uh, yeah. <laughs> axes that you should. I be don't talk about that as much anymore okay. in my classes. Very interesting. My language has uh, evolved. I, as I think we, we all talked do. about it after class one oh, okay. day. I don't yeah, think yeah, it was yeah. in the class. Just I don't don't I don't use the words. I don't say inner spiral, outer spiral. We used to use the words a lot, and in that sense, vocabulary. Yes. And the loops, we had loops. That's what the spiral word was. Loops, spiral yes. loops, that's what I was thinking um, <laughs> And I do have to say, looking back on it, I do see how that was a little bit exclusive in the sense that if you didn't know what the teacher was talking about and she's like, oh, inner spiral your thighs, you'd be like, what the heck is that? Or like, outer spiral your arms. And so I try to talk about rotation, external yeah. and internal rotation. I try to talk about... and. You know, I, I I was just talking about this on my class on Tuesday, right? Like, we just have, we're just maps. The the teacher's like a GPS lady. I'm just saying, okay, this is what the map is saying. I'm saying, maybe try an external rotation of the arm, see if that frees your shoulders a little bit when the arms are overhead. Now, is that going to be the same for everybody? No. And you're the person that's in the driver's seat. You're the person that has your foot on the gas and the brake. And you know, hey, if the GPS tell, tells me to turn right and there's a building, I'm not going to turn <laughs> right. Like you use your yeah. own judgment. And my goal as a teacher is to empower students to learn to feel their bodies enough to be able to know when it's appropriate to do more or less of whatever action I'm asking them to do. But inevitably, when you first start out, I find most people don't come in with a map of their own body internally. I certainly didn't have that. So I had no idea if my body was doing what the teacher was asking me to do or not, which was the good thing about having a mirror at first, but it's a double-edged sword because you only see the front and the back body <laughs> was like, oh my gosh, all sorts of messed up, but I didn't know, right? Like once I started to learn all those loops and spirals and it was, to me, it was enlightening because mm -hmm. I got to understand the biomechanics of the body in a new way that I hadn't been introduced to just from the Bikram practice. Bikram is very pushy. It's go, go, push more, more. Yeah. And I did that for a long time until I ended up like with sciatica and knee pain and low back pain in my 20s. I was like, wait a minute, I'm practicing five days a week and I'm walking with limp. There's something wrong. And it was the extreme, the, the locking of the joints, that kind of stuff. So when I teach now, I'm very lucky that I teach at a place where they totally allow me to teach with the incorporation of the alignment and the awareness of the biomechanics and how the body functions better. Yeah. Because for me, at least, when I stopped locking my knee, my low back felt better and my, my sciatica cleared up and legs. Okay, so there's something there. And of course, now I've researched and Yeah, definitely better not to lock your standing joints. <laughs> yeah. Depending, right? Let's say this. If you're a dancer, you're somebody that's been strengthening your muscles and your calves all your life, and then you lock your knee and you stand on your point, you probably maybe you're fine, right? Like not everybody's going to be hurt by locking their knee, but I can guarantee you if you're coming in with not a lot of physical strength, not a lot of awareness, and you're just sitting on your joints, that's going to not be great. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, you made a, you made a good point about uh, people don't usually come into the class with a map of their own body. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I know that was my experience. I, I, I didn't know, you know, I, you know, played flag football as a kid in school and did some like weightlifting in my twenties. And that's, a, that's about all I had going on for me. So yeah, I came in with a can do attitude and right. I wanted to be pushed. And, and as I softened into the practice and started to listen, I, yeah, I, I learned uh, what is right and what's not right. And, and it's an ongoing conversation. Right. It never ends. Um, and 
you know, I, I, I don't fancy myself a yoga teacher, but I've led classes before, uh, usually by request from other yeah. students in, in my school. And I'll say from the very beginning, like, I'm here giving you instructions, but you are the teacher and your body is going right. to really be the teacher. So this is yeah. a practice about listening to your body. If I tell you to do something, don't turn into that wall. right? <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. I, I appreciate the map. I appreciate giving alignment cues for that reason, mm -hmm. because if you don't know, you don't know, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think people come to a class because they want to be led in some ways. They want to be told and, and, and in that process of them figuring themselves out, it's very helpful to have another eye look at you and tell you, oh, you're dipping here, yes. you're sinking there. Like, I, I know we, I don't, I needed that. I was very lucky to have Alma because she was very hands-on mm -hmm. and I'm a very kinesthetic and visual person but not that much auditory. So she would tell me a hundred times, thighs up. That, and I was like, I'm there. And then she'd come by and like lift my thighs and be like, oh, oh, got it. Okay, that's thighs up. And so I personally benefited a lot from that kind of physical connection. But I'm also comfortable with touch, right? Mm -hmm. Like what we were talking about before. There's people that, and you can feel it. I feel like after a while you become pretty sensitive when you just get near someone, if they're welcoming of that or not. And mm. and I do notice, I mean, I have several students, I never, ever go near them in that way, you know, because I can just feel there's a little energetic, little energetic wall. I'm like, I totally respect that. No. Yeah. But. So in going back a little bit to the, that question of uh, starting out, not really knowing how to, how to know your limits or knowing what you're working right. with as you, as you bring your body into the room, if you could give your younger self advice starting out yoga. Is there mm. anything that you wish you knew when you were starting that you didn't know? Mm, yeah, aside from not locking my knees. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I would say to not, like, like we were talking about before, to not think that the goal is to look like the poster. Mm -hmm. To not think like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to look like that. I'm supposed to make my body bend in the shape and make it. And it's like, oh, the goal is to embody myself more fully, to feel myself from the inside in a new way, and to carry myself with more inner support. That's what I always talk about. Like, where are we letting gravity take over in a way that's not helpful? Right? Because sometimes it's great to let gravity take over and let your body, you know, rest in a restorative or a yin yoga class. But... In a in a muscular engagement class where you're trying to like build your strength and that to me is alignment is mm -hmm. are you carrying yourself with inner support and buoyancy or are you sinking into yourself? So I try to not say a blanket statement anymore like oh your shoulders should always be this way or your legs should always turn this way, which I did for a while um, as a younger <laughs> teacher, and I'm grateful to be at a place where I don't I don't believe there's a right way for anything. Mm -hmm. It's an exploration and we're all going in there exploring together and discovering what we find. And and in my own body, it's always changing. I'm 43 now, right? I'm not the body that I was when I was 23. So the the advice I would give myself is like, do your best, have fun, but also know that there's going to be some things that may be inaccessible and that's okay. Because yeah. <laughs> I beat myself up for a while once I became a teacher like, no, oh, I need to balance and handstand in the middle of the room. And I need to, like, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and, like, doing these things that I saw other teachers do. And it was so impressive. Oh, they could do that. I got to <laughs> do that. And and being okay with the fact that 
hey, I, I was not the gymnast kid. I was not the kid. I was the girl where my, my friends were playing volleyball and I'd be like smoking the cigarette. Like, okay, I'm going to go bring you some lunch because <laughs> and I'm going to take the elevator. I'm not even going up, up the stairs. So learning to accept who I am, my history, my body, my life, and not want to always be comparing myself to somebody else. Like I did that a lot at the beginning. So that would be my most important advice to anybody starting out. And I know they say that all the time. It's just about you and your body. Don't compare yourself. But we're all human and we do it. Yeah. And it's taken me a long time to, to really um, integrate and internalize that idea that really you're never going to be like anybody else. So <laughs> stop trying. Yeah. Do you think there's any specific things that helped you to stop comparing yourself or any particular tricks because i know something like that like like i mentioned to you earlier when i go to a yoga class right. I, you know even though i know it's about me and the mat i'm still looking around the room sometimes i'm still kind of comparing even though intellectually i know i don't need to do that it still happens because like you said we're human but maybe the more I, time i spend with myself on my home practice then when i go to a class i'm not as concerned with that Right. So do you, is there anything that you noticed yeah. in your life that was practical that helped you have that shift? Uh, yeah, it was very, very visceral and real. I had frozen shoulder. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had, I stopped being able to use my arm and that was pretty not fun. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, there were some things in the Anusara alignment that now I've, I've reversed. So they always talked about shoulder blades on your back, shoulder blades on your back. And it's like, yeah, in certain situations, that's wonderful. But in the overhead plane, when you're doing a handstand or a full wheel, actually your shoulder blades are supposed to move away from your spine. And when you when you do that movement naturally, that just happens. Mm -hmm. And allowing your trapezius muscles to participate. Like they don't always have to be relaxed. The glutes don't always have to be relaxed. They play a big role. Like now I've worked to re-strengthen my glutes. Mm -hmm. I don't depress my shoulders all the time anymore, you know. And so I had to unlearn a lot of stuff. And really, I feel like that's that's the process of life and yoga is learning and unlearning, learning and unlearning. The hardest part is letting go of something we've learned. But I think it's the most empowering part when you're willing to unlearn something and to, to say, oh, actually, I learned that, but that wasn't the best for me. Yeah. Then you then you open up to, to learning more. And and then maybe I'll learn something. And now later I'll unlearn it again. And that's been the biggest shift for me that that took a year to heal. I mean, I didn't practice any vinyasa for a year. I still did Bikram and I still walked and did exercise, but I didn't put any weight on my arms for a whole year. And oh. it, I didn't really have to take a whole year. I think I didn't know how to come back to it after I healed. And I did a lot of reading and researching and finding, you know, people talking about the shoulder girdle and all that. And be like, oh, yeah, I mean, we're lucky nowadays we have the Internet. We have so much access to information. So mm -hmm. so that was one of those things. I was like, oh, wait, what if I let my shoulder blades move out? What if I and now I'm like, oh, handstand actually feels great. And so it is like, you know, I still don't balance in the middle of the room because I have, I'm bottom heavy, right? I got my big hips, my big Puerto Rican butt. <laughs> and uh, I, I very easily fall over. And I was, at the time when I got frozen shoulder, I was learning to fall into full wheel. And I think that that wasn't great for my shoulder. It's a it's a big thing. And yeah, it might be amazing for somebody else. I, I encourage my students to try. I, I let people in my in my classes, if they want to practice in another room, they're welcome to. I just don't do it. And I'm okay with that. And so that was a big thing to be like, oh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do this thing that I put in my mind that was going to make me a better teacher. <laughs> I was like, actually, the shoulder helped me to see what it's like to be in a body with pain. Because I really hadn't had that except for the sciatica. And that also taught me 
to not lock the knee, which is something I had learned in training. I had been telling people for four years to do. And I had to stop telling people. I had to quit two studios because they were like, you need to follow the dialogue. I was like, I can't tell somebody something that I know it's injurious for most people. I'm not going to do that. So, and that's why I'm very lucky. I love my, my Claremont studio because it is a Bikram centered studio, but they call it hot yoga. Now they took off the name and we opened up to a whole bunch of different classes. So we offer everything from restorative to yin to meditation to the slow flow to hot vinyasa. And I really love that because there's something for everyone. You know, you get you get the older lady with the limp coming in and being like, oh, I'm, I've heard yoga is good. I'm like, yes, come in. Like, it's not like, oh, this is just a hot vinyasa place. You're not welcome, right? Because who it just, I'm not putting down the old lady with the limp, right? I'm just saying like, there's different body types at different stages in their lives. And I feel everybody can benefit from the awareness of breathing consciously, moving the body, getting that circulation flowing, even if that means getting up and down from your chair a few times a day, moving your wrists and circling your ankles. Like it could be that much, right? It doesn't have to be doing a handstand and a headstand. Yeah. Even though those are so fun. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So interesting. So, um, I don't know if it's appropriate, but maybe I kind of want to use our time for a little bit of a yoga consultation. <laughs> so when I was thinking about asking you what you would teach or share with your younger self, I was like, well, what would I tell my younger self if I could? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I would probably tell myself that when they're giving you the cue to engage your core, it's not because they're trying to help you get washboard abs. <laughs> <laughs> they actually mean it. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've taken on a home practice of uh, modified Ashtanga primary series. And for the first year, uh, I was experiencing all positive growth. My body was getting stronger, more flexible. My breathing was amazing. <laughs> um, it was rippling out into all aspects of my life. And then earlier this year, I, I started to experience more back pain. And, you know, I've had back pain on and off throughout my life and I've done different things to work with it. Sometimes actual, like making it stronger through the proper exercise helped at different times. Sometimes resting, it was appropriate, different things, different times. And what it made me pay attention to is that I wasn't engaging my core in like half the postures. (laughs) And so engaging your core makes your back safe. It, it It secures everything. And yet most people don't know how to do that. I didn't I didn't really know how to do that. They say like, engage your baby. Like, well, okay, um, I think I'm doing it. I, I really honestly, only the last like three years, can I say that I've really been able to focus and, and strengthen my core in a way that I wasn't able to do just with yoga personally. I'm not saying other people can't get it just from yoga. I couldn't. I didn't have that awake enough. And I would suffer from back pain here and there, right? And it really was the HIT classes. I started doing HIT, which the is high a high-intensity intensity interval training class. And this one in particular that my friend Vanessa Gomez uh, trained me in and she brought to the studio is core-focused, right? So we're doing like, yeah, we do the arms, we do the legs, we do the glutes, and but mostly it's a lot of core work. And you get to that point with those like intervals where you're like burning off your core. And, and it was like, oh... I have never felt that. I've never done enough of this. And now I see a big difference in my yoga practice. And and overall, I see a wave of yoga um, moving towards balancing the flexibility with the strength. Just in general, I think there was a 
an idea of yoga of like, oh, we're just stretching. We just want to get limber and we want to open up our body. And there were a lot of classes that I've been to where it's just like, how far can you go? How how long can you make your arm? Like, how far can you touch your toes? Like, it was all about that. And and I love the the wave that I'm seeing because it's not just my classes, right? I, I think we're all, whether we're, we're aware of it or not, we're all a part of something greater. And so there is a big wave I see in yoga where they're putting a lot more emphasis on engaging, engaging the core, engaging the glutes, like finding that strength, doing doing exercises that maybe are not a yoga pose, but that are going to build your center to be able to do a yoga pose with more ease and, and more integrity. And so I think you're 100% you saw it. You felt it for yourself. More core. And right, it's not about how it looks. It's the support you get from mm -hmm. it. It's the ability to carry your trunk. I mean, if you think about it, your ribcage and your pelvis only have those, you know, five lumbers <laughs> to, to carry it together. And there's all the viscera and all that part that can easily lose support. And gravity is always there. So I think it's a very vulnerable place for most people. And as much as we think we're engaging, like I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. And I probably for a long time did a lot of um, planks with my booty up. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to help me with that a lot. But I think that the capacity to sustain it yeah. came more. And even with came more from doing the, Banda, the extra work on the side. Exactly. Even with Mula Banda and the tightening of the floor of the pelvis, mm -hmm. I don't think it really got to... The level that I feel now, like I feel like I can, I can engage my transverse abdominis and I can engage my, you know, I feel more each part of my center participating and including the back, right? Mm -hmm. Including the engagement of the lats and the, and the obliques and, and, and not just, oh, just the low belly pulls up, right? That there's, yeah. there's a whole band of movement in different directions of the fibers and to be able to, to connect all that. It's not easy. It's for me. It was like I called it my black hole for many years because mm. I could feel my legs, I could feel my arms. Right, my mind map was starting to wake up there. The core was like the black <laughs> hole. I was like, where, where is that part of my body? And now, finally, with the high intensity training, I do feel that's that that's more awake. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I can only do so many boat poses. I don't feel like I'm getting any stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I think uh, that's something I'm going to look into, whether it's high intensity interval training or some other supplemental core training exercise. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be helpful for my back. There's this, this yoga podcast I listen to. Uh, you said you're not as much of an auditory learner, so I don't know how much po <laughs> podcasts you listen to. Um, but have you heard Jay Brown? Jay Brown Yoga Talks. I have not. So he, uh, he came up in the Ashtanga community, but now he's got his own thing and, uh, forgive me if the tagline's wrong, but uh, gentle is the new advanced, I believe is Ooh, what he's working with. And yes. so he's got, um, he he had his thing going in New York and then he moved to Pennsylvania. He got out of the city and prices went up, whatnot. Um, but he does a lot of online classes now and he's got a teacher's class. And so like teachers can talk amongst themselves and it's oh, like a, a class great. for teachers. Um, but something he's doing on his podcast that I, I really respect and admire, he's really... One of the themes of, of his show is transparency. Mm -hmm. So like as a yoga teacher, he's telling everybody what he makes because the secrecy kind of makes oh, it right. this, weird, yeah, yeah, this yeah. weird thing. And then yeah. it, it ends up hurting the students because everybody's just paying too much. And so he's inviting other teachers to be open about what they make and how they make a living because it's a, a weird new thing as these ancient practices are being commodified in this new world and we're trying yeah. to make it work and trying to make it help us. 
and also trying to get by. <laughs> right. So he's trying right, to be transparent like about that. And uh, coming from the Ashtanga community um, with the events that happened around Patabi Joyce, Patabi Joyce yeah. being found out as, as accosting all these women. Uh, he's trying to have a really open dialogue about that. And so he's, yeah. he's invited people to talk about that. And he's always commenting about new articles that are coming out. And he's That's trying, awesome. Yeah, he's trying and to have a really... And just the fact that you said gentle is the new advance. Yeah. I mean, because that's the thing with Ashtanga practice in general. It kind of had to be that feel of becoming like push more, go more. Everything has to look a certain way. Yeah. A lot of cues to me when I practiced Ashtanga a few times, it's like, Palms have to be together when you're interlacing your fingers behind your back. Like things that to me are not that important were emphasized a lot. And, and I felt that in Bikram, of course. So I don't teach like that because I feel like it's not what it looks like, right? It's what's happening inside that's important. And, mm -hmm. and that we're all going to look a little different and to be okay with that. So yeah. I love that. I'm going to look into him. because yeah, he's great. To, to be an Ashtanga practitioner and have gotten to that place, I'm like, okay, he's, he's yeah. had a lot of wisdom to share. Yeah. So I, when I first came to his podcast, I... I, I didn't I didn't gravitate towards it right away, but he continued to have on teachers that I was following. Okay. So I kept tuning in for those conversations and yeah. now I went through you know, through the back catalog of episodes and, and checked them all out. I, I, I love it. He had a uh, Seth Powell on. He I see he's a mutual friend of ours on Facebook, oh. but I, I don't I don't Seth Powell. He's a yogic scholar. He's got yogic studies, an online uh place for studying yoga. So he's yeah, he's a yogic scholar and and I was I we have mutual friends up in the northern part oh, of California it. so it all came around but anyway um, I wanted to ask you about that but we can keep moving on so uh, Jay Brown Yoga Talks he's having all these conversations about the unfolding of what has happened and is an ongoing conversation in the Ashtanga community which is timely with the Me Too movement right. and this shifting conversation in a lot of different groups in and out of yoga about the shifting role of the teacher and the student so without getting too far into religious prophecy, so in, mm -hmm. in Buddhism, they say the next coming of the Buddha is supposed to be the Maitreya Buddha, and uh, is, the Maitreya is a friend. Mm. So some Buddhists have interpreted that as the new, the next coming of the Buddha will be the Sangha, the community. Yes. And so we will be the ones to deliver in the new age of righteousness yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. to support each other and bring each other up. And yeah. that seems to just go really well with the whole falling of the guru thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because structures. for so long in the yoga world, when you would mention, oh, I teach Bikram, you'd get this funny look and everyone yeah. poo-pooing on Bikram. Because, yeah, he, came, he was one of the first ones to fall, right? He was one of the first one to... To people come, and he's still in Mexico and, charging thousands oh gosh, of dollars it's to girls. I'm sorry who are, to say, it's. Uh, I just read an article yesterday about yeah, it. And yeah, he's still I, cashing I, in in Mexico right now. Yeah, and 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 it, it's a very interesting situation in my life for me because what that practice represented for me at a particular time in my life, what it allows me to do for people and with people now having the studio where I can teach with a little more awareness or whatever I want to call it. Um, it's still hard to even say the name and think that I'm promoting that because honestly, when people come in, they're like, I want it. I'm like, well, if you go to, if you're going to go to some other studio, um, let me just tell you, make sure not to lock your knee. Make sure not to push too much. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I'm like the contraband lady, like don't do it too much. Like, yeah. Or like, be careful what they're telling you. Don't believe everything they say. You know. So, but at the same time, I can't just say, I, I can't eliminate it from my, repertoire in my life right but i definitely 
do not support the man. I didn't support him. When I went to training, I was horrified. I was expecting I was going to have an actual teacher. And honestly, that training, I didn't learn anything. You were I ha- trained directly from yes. Bikram? And we just were given a script and you have to repeat, 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 repeat the script. And, and yeah, you can lead a class by just repeating a script, but you don't like, know I was already anything. an actress. I yeah, didn't exactly. <laughs> that was easy for me. I'm like, oh, all I got to do is repeat this words. Okay, I got it. I, I'm great. Um, but it really, any question that came up, I, I'm, a, I'm a question asker. I'm, I'm a student, right? So I'm like, wait, I don't understand this. I need to know this. And any question asked, we like met with... Ah, if it's not in the dialogue, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, I guess I didn't come here to learn. And it was a big investment. Yeah. It was $5,000 back then. Now it's like 15 or something yep. crazy like that. So I personally, when people ask me about training, I don't recommend going to that training. I think there's plenty of other trainings we can learn a lot more. Um, I'm, I respect other people's choices and decisions, but I think that really it's a waste of money to go study with somebody that has been proven to be a rapist. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's no other word for it. I do believe the five women that came forth, and I think there's probably more that didn't come through. Um, the, just the way he defends himself, it's like it's worse than Trump. It's Yeah, horrible. I mean, it's it, it's a, it's apparent with, the, yeah. with, the, with him in particular. Um, but yeah, so I, I want to talk to you about this because a, you're a women, woman, you're in the community, Um and these conversations are coming up for a lot of people for the first time. They're starting mm-hmm. to explore the idea that their leaders are not infallible. Right, that all uh, of them have had some. Yeah, we're all humans. <laughs> um, and so you trained in, in Bikram that has had its controversy. And then you trained in Anusara, which also had a similar controversy in falling out. Yes. So I guess I feel like you have more experience with dealing with the fallout of this thing and the, I guess the first kind of question that comes to mind is what comes up is can we separate the teachings from the teacher? And that's a, a nuanced conversation. It's not always so easy. Yeah. Sometimes they have scholarship and they've, you know, got some like proper intellectual right. things that they've developed. Sometimes they're just being creepers. Right. And it's, right. It's, 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 and sometimes it's both at the same time. Right? Yeah. It's very nuanced. I, I think that what you said about the Sangha and the, the next embodiment of the Buddha it's it's kind of where I'm coming in my own practice and my own teaching is the the understanding that we're all the authority of our own experience, mm-hmm. right? That we have to be the ones to stand up and say, okay, this is what feels right for me. This is where I stand. This is what I'm okay with, what I consent to. And I think it's fabulous that this is happening. I think yeah. it's great that people's voices are being heard and... Um, that the community has opened up to listen to those voices. Yes. Because I think that was the biggest problem is people would complain and they would just be extricated. They would moved away, moved away from the community, not welcomed. And now it's like, oh, actually, no, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at the bigger picture. And it's wonderful. It I really can't is. say enough about how great yeah. I think it is. I, I, Even with John Friend, who was the founder of Andusara, I don't equate him to Bikram in the sense that I do think there's lines. Mm-hmm. Raping someone, like forcing yourself sexually on someone, is very different than consensual sex to me. Now, it doesn't take away the fact that he did other things that he wasn't supposed to do, and he did sleep with a married woman and all this. But I'd never heard of him forcing himself on anyone. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that the teacher-student um, dynamic creates a very different power yeah. situation. Yes. But uh, from Psychological manipulation people, is a kind of forcing and not yeah you're physical. right you're right but if, you, if somebody's young oh, yeah. and impressionable and yes. you tell them all the things that 
Set and them that you're going to help them. Yeah. And there was a lot of like, oh, I'm going to help you along on this path. And mm-hmm. you're going to be. So there is that. You're right. You're it's, right. It's coercion. I always think like, yeah. Yeah. It's just not so a, a physical is, coercion yeah. in the same sense. So maybe it is the same thing. I've always um, put a line there in my mind, but maybe it's time I readdress that line. I, 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 my initial I mean, reaction, I have no interest in learning from him or ever yeah. being in his presence again. There's no <laughs> way around that. I Right away, I gave away my... I didn't have my certification. I was in the process of getting certified, and I had like everything I needed. I was about to take the test, the famous test that you had mm. to do, and uh, and then it all went down. But I was what they call inspired, and so I gave that up right away. And I do, I do feel like it's gonna, it, it it's time to topple, and it's it's also political, right? This will go. Yes. Into, it's time to topple the one percent. <laughs> like anybody that's on top that thinks somehow they have. Uh, an innate uh, right to be above everybody else. I feel that that that's oh, it's not that time anymore. We don't need yes. kings and queens, yes. and we don't need. And that ties into a lot more of what I wanted to talk and... about. So I wanted to talk about Puerto Rico and yeah. decolonization, and yes. I think I, I'm not sure if we're going to have time to get to all of that. But I think um, the power structure comes from this this patriarchal point of view that's oh really gosh, yeah. top down and. Oh, yeah. Control and power over cooperation or any kind of any kind of solidarity amongst the people, any kind of helping, um, yeah. And it's 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 definitely high time that these conversations are being had, and and hopefully yes. the pendulum can swing in in another direction. Yes, it's been a very interesting time in Puerto Rico. So uh, so interesting. The, 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 yeah, let's go there. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Um, I think the interesting thing is that the colonial mentality when you're when you're brought up in an island like Puerto Rico, it's like 135 miles here. Um, you're meant you're made to feel like somehow the Americans, you know, you're they they did this on purpose, obviously through education and the way they structure things. But you don't see it; it's it's under the surface, right? But there's a lot of people in Puerto Rico. I find that think somehow we're less than and we're less capable than. And I mean, I have to say that was one of the experiences I had when I was 19. And I'll say this, this was back when I was experimenting with uh, psychedelics and I did mushrooms and I did see that I did want to act. At that point, I was studying psychology in Boston, but I didn't love it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I went on my journey and I had this realization, oh, wait, the only difference between me and those people in the movies is that that's what they're doing and this is what I'm doing. There's no bigger difference. I'm just a person like they are and that's it. But I didn't know until that moment that I somehow had an internalized idea that Ah, I'm just I'm just a Puerto Rican. I'm just from this little island. Like those people, they're Americans. Like, and that revealed that to me. Like, oh my gosh, it's like it. And I and I see it with people here. They're like, I'm just from a small town. I'm like, you're just born somewhere. Like, whether you're from a city or a small town, like, don't don't think of that as making you any less than or any less capable than. And and I see that a lot. And that, yeah. that people have this idea of like where they come from somehow determines their future and their um. Destiny, mm-hmm. and I, I certainly don't prescribe to that. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, but it's definitely a, it's a narrative that's pushed on you. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just trying and politically, to politically, like say say that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in built. You had four hundred yeah. years of Spanish colonization yeah. to really ingrain it yeah. before we took over, and yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because the the independence movement was was rising in Puerto Rico right around the time 
when the Spanish-American War happened. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, okay, just give them Puerto Rico. <laughs> Because, of course, like they were starting to lose power there. There was yeah. starting to be uprising and movements and people. We, we already had a, a, a national identity had developed mm -hmm. among Puerto Ricans. Yep. Um, and now it, the, the fight for that national identity and independence has been long <laughs> and and squelched many times. Oh, I'm If sure. you I'm read sure. about... There, there's a book and there's controversy around this book, but there's a lot of truth in there. It's called War Against All Puerto Ricans. And I don't have the, the name of the author right now. But um, one of the things that you learn is how much we were used like guinea pigs. Women in Puerto Rico were like, you know, they, they would have surgery for something else and they would just take out all their reproductive organs. Just like, oh, there, there was like involuntary fertilize or what do there's you know? a long history of that in this country as well yeah yeah, yeah. especially with black Just, people uh, yes, yes absolutely and and there there was always this mentality at least when i was growing up where you need the united states to be able to be what do you want to be like cuba do you want to be like this like there was always this like fear mongering like if you're independent you're not gonna make it you can't do it alone and so that as a person makes you feel like oh i can't do it alone we're not good enough to govern ourselves and to have self-determination we're not good enough to govern ourselves so what, mm -hmm. we, what i started to say earlier is i i listened to this news article and i was trying to keep up with contemporary issues there and at the end of the thing so uh, trump had criticized puerto rico and puerto rico was mad but in the article they were saying but they also kind of agreed with him they don't want to have him call us out but there was some truth to what he was saying yeah. and, the, and the, que the question that they ended the the piece on was can they even govern themselves <sighs> They, they're not even sure if they can do it themselves. They have, they've lost faith in their own system, so they don't even know if they could govern themselves. And come on, like, no, they just don't trust the government people. I mean, right. and they, they also mafia. pointed out, they it's also, a mafia that's developed there. And, uh, and let they, me tell you, it's happening here too. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> corporate interests, especially, I mean, that's the biggest <laughs> mafia. But, you know, they pointed out also, you know, uh, maybe you take some solace in the fact that you can elect your governor, but then there's the board of directors that you don't get to vote for, that they're just put in there. And that's put right. in by the, the mainland's government. And, or like the, our, the, the government of all of us. I, I said our, our country to that country. You're earlier, talking about but, the fiscal control board? Um, whatever. Or Yeah, well, they were when they were calling for the governor to to resign. They also were calling for the board to to go away too, right? Right, the fiscal control board. So because of the debt, which has not even been audited, right? We don't even know what this debt is for, in a way. But you're in a recession. Well, they, 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 I well, understand like a, a twelve year or so recession. There's been bankruptcy and well, lot, many what issues. happened in Puerto Rico is that there were these incentives that were put into place. Um. I'm not sure exactly if it was the 50s or 60s. At some point, they were put into place where there were tax incentives for corporations to come and do business in Puerto Rico. And so we had a lot of pharmaceutical companies, things like Monsanto. We were guinea pigs in that way, too. Yeah. But a lot of companies came. And, of course, that was a boost to the economy of Puerto Rico because you get a lot of work and construction happen. And, and when I was growing up in the 80s, Puerto Rico was in a boom. Puerto Rico, I, there were, you know... PSA announcements about don't throw trash on the street. That doesn't exist now. You know, mm. that nobody's investing in that kind of cultural awareness and awakening. And there, that was happening in the 80s. And in the 90s, the, the, the group of people that came into power, 
it became very much about nepotism and and bringing in your friends and then it's become like a family it's become like a mafia and like there's certain names and i i can't i can't know or say that that wasn't always the case before i don't know but um I think there was a time from 54, which I think is when the first governor of Puerto Rico was elected by the Puerto Rican people. I mean, that's the other day. Up until then, it was just somebody put in by the United States. This is your governor. Um, but from then until the 80s, there was a sense of self-determination. Now, what happens in the 90s is they take away those incentives. So now all these corporations all of a sudden have no reason to keep their jobs there and pay Puerto Ricans a living. So all these pharmaceutical companies, all these companies just left. And so that started the the downturn. And then on top of it, you had all the corruption, all these people giving contracts to their pals, mm. signing off. Like right now what's happening is land is being just sold. Land that was like preservations. You know, my dad, I can't tell you, he has been to jail for fighting to take the marina, the, the Navy, out of Vieques Islands. He has gotten beat up in he's a really protest. Politically he's politically active, very, too, Yeah, right? he, he's super... He's He actually started a political party to... to um, Is that still something that's... Ago. He's very active, yeah, yeah. He's very active, but he's not a politician, so he's not part of that circle, right? He's like... He's but he's a, an organizer. An organizer. He's yeah. an organizer, yeah. Which is so m- there way more important one, than any politician. One construction in particular that I can think of is called Paseo Caribe was built on public land. And so they're taking land Whoa. that has like, you know, 500-year-old castles built by the Spaniards or probably by the slaves, but like patrimony, right? Like things that give value to the country just sold. So we were just being sold right and left to build like million dollar apartments. And, and now those are like not selling. And so there's a lot of that, that the, that the good land is being sold. The beaches are being sold and, and who buys it, right? It's the millionaires and the people that, and now there are incentives for Americans to come and buy land and buy apartments and stuff and not have to pay taxes in the U S it's like a tax haven now. Mm -hmm. So Sadly, what you're seeing is that people that are from there, they don't have the same access. Like, they don't have the same access. They don't have the same access to jobs or access to money. So people are leaving. People that do have education, people that want an education, everybody leaves. I mean, here I am living in California. I love Puerto Rico. My family's there. I daydream about going back all the time. I have to say, I know as a yoga teacher, the amount of money I can make here and the lifestyle I can live, I, I can't. I don't think I could do that in Puerto Rico. And doesn't mean I'm not going to do it someday. I still think about it. But right now would not be the best time to do it. People are leaving rather than coming back. And that's very sad to me. So, yeah, I am active trying to just shed light on the situation. And at least, you know, I I don't even know anymore. I used to be pro-independence my whole life. It's like, we should just be independent. At this point... I think either or, if if the United States would be willing to make us a state, which I don't think is ever going to happen, Congress doesn't want that, the Senate doesn't want that, we're going to have more representation that a lot of states would have because of our per capita population. Uh. So there's a lot of reasons why, and now with the debt and everything going on, like there's a lot of reasons why it's not in the best interest of the United States to annex us right now. And so then it's like, well, this limbo place doesn't work. This colony state, the, this doesn't work. So for me, it's like either or. And so I'm 
even though there was a time that I was more pro-statehood, I'm now I'm like, well, let's just become independent. And and if that's the case, I would go back to Puerto Rico. If there was an opportunity to participate in some way there, I I would like that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that the movement is going towards that right now. I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of that decision doesn't just come from what the Puerto Ricans want. It comes from exactly. what the mainland yeah. decides. Yeah. And I, I know, and just brushing up. So I'm from New York originally, and um, I had a first grade class with one of a kid from my, my mom's childhood friend's kid. And so she bumped into her, to them, and okay. we reunited, and uh, they're a Puerto Rican family. And so okay. I moved out to California with a Puerto Rican family. Oh, so I love it. I've always I ha- felt like I've had this connection to a Puerto Rico and Puerto Ricans. Uh, but I don't know anything about Puerto Rico. I don't know anything about Puerto Rico's history. I realized very quickly in doing a very little bit of research that I didn't learn shit in school yeah. when I came to Puerto Rico. <laughs> and, you know, like, oh, my God, like, wow, the, the whole indigenous population before the Spanish arrived, like 3,000 years ago, they had their own yeah. thing going on. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I, and, I, and, you know, and then uh, how the culture... You know, you said during Spanish colonization, they had already formed their own sense of identity that was mixed between the indigenous peoples and the slaves and the colonizers, settlers, kind of formed into its own thing that is now kind of taken on its own new interesting life in this new post-colonial colonial colonial period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, It's really interesting. But I'm glad that we as mainlanders are starting to talk more about Puerto Rico. Unfortunately, it was first because of the hurricane. Right. And um, but now, it, you know, we've had the, the recent event with the governor. Yeah, no, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I think it's great that there is more interest. In, like people are more interested in finding out like, oh, yeah, Puerto Rico, what's this? <laughs> um I don't think most people even know we're a part of the United States, right? I've mm-hmm. been asked so many times, like, are you a citizen? I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, we're all born citizens. And Yeah, when you start to Google questions, yeah. that's yeah. one of the big ones yeah. that keeps coming yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah people Sadly, are curious about that. We, we just about, don't know about it. So how yeah. how can we support you if we don't even know what your plight is? So right, that, that's right, right, part right. of my hope in having this conversation. That's that Maybe some huge. people will have a, a little bit more of an inkling of what the hell's going on down there. Like, I mean... A, anybody on the planet deserves humanity and compassion and, and help. And it's it's the duty of the strong to help those who are weak, especially those that you have systematically weakened yourself. You should go back and help them when you have a change of heart. <laughs> well, I don't but even we, think that the United States has to help Puerto Rico. I, I, I will tell you this. I know well, even that if I, it means hands off, right, if that's the help exactly, you need. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. That's the like, thing. And, what and, are we going to do? Do it. And I'm going to be a little bit... Um, I'm not usually a nationalist. <laughs> when I moved to the States, I didn't want to live with all the Puerto Ricans. Like I wanted to live with people from all over the world. But as time goes by and I live away from my island, I see there's a, a very strong spirit mm-hmm. uh, in, in the, the people of Puerto Rico. There's yes. a, a sense of identity. And culturally, we definitely have an, an identity. We definitely have a cultural personality, if you will. And I feel like... I want to celebrate that. And I, I do think that we are capable of governing ourselves. And there are, there are a lot of very capable, incredibly talented, politically, artistically, creatively, in so many ways, people that I know that are Puerto Rican. And I think that given the opportunity, Puerto Ricans can have their own country. Now, the thing is, we have to understand the reality of the world we live in. 
it's taken all this time for Latin American countries to even have a little bit of independence. And even now we see the whole situation with Venezuela. It's like, I'm not going to defend Maduro and whatever he's doing, but are we meddling into another country when we're like creating, you know, Constantly trying meddling. to measure the, the price of oil and all the things to like strangle their economy? Like, just like Cuba, people talk about Cuba, but it's like, I don't think they would be so bad off if they didn't have the embargo and didn't have all the other things to deal with. Like, there's there's reasons behind Latin America being kept down, yeah. and that's obviously it's the United States doing. And so I have a hard time deciding, like, what would be best for the United States to meddle and try to help? Because sometimes when you trying to help, it's the worst. Throwing <laughs> so like, toilet paper at you. Like... Giving independence and allowing, allowing, right? Because it's, is it going to be a true independence or are we still, well, you can't. You can't do trade with China and you can't do trade with mm. Russia and you can't do trade like limited independence. That, exactly. A limited independence that we, we are, after all, we are a small island. Wouldn't you also need some kind of initial monetary boost, like a parting gift well, or something? I think that if the, the audit happens, if they were willing to audit the debt, um, a lot of that debt would be forgiven. A lot of that debt, not just forgiven, mm -hmm. it would be proven to not be you know, viable, legitimate, yeah. legitimate. And then, yeah, I think that it should have happened after Maria that some of the debt was forgiven. The people that are really making money out of this are investors and people that have a lot of money already. Yeah, there's like a 4%. Disaster capitalism. Yeah. It You're is. familiar with oh, this yeah. concept? Yeah, 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 exactly. I actually saw a video of this lady that works for I'm not sure if she worked for Home Depot, but she was talking about like, this is the time to invest in Home Depot. We're just waiting for the next disaster. Oh my God. They know. They know. Yeah. So it's it's a complicated world. <laughs> it is very complicated. Yeah. Wow. But I, I get down sometimes when I think about the, the big and the, the complexity of it all. But then I always remember, okay, there, the history of the world, <laughs> there's never been a time that the powers that be have made it easy for everybody to have a good life. Mm -hmm. It's just the history of humanity yeah. and people persevere and people are resilient and people still create change. And we see things like the French revolution and so many other ones before that it can happen. And, and that the fact that we took that governor down, Ricky Rosselló was huge. It doesn't mean the person that's now won the, Vasquez, it doesn't mean that she's a wonderful person and she doesn't have her own issues. I just think the mere fact that people, a million point two people showed up to a march in an island of 3.5 or 4 million people wow. is incredible. It's and solidarity. I do think that that is creating an example in other countries. Like yeah. I just heard Hong Kong woman. right now is yes. doing Kong, it up. Hong Kong, Brazil. I mean, and a couple Brazil years ago, like uh, South, South Korea got their president out. Brazil's doing this. Yes. So hopefully. So I think the power is in the people. And I think the power is in keeping ourselves healthy, mm -hmm. happy, mm -hmm. joyful, connected. The Internet is uh, an ally because we get to <laughs> hopefully it'll stay free and open. Yeah. <laughs> but it just it has given us a reach that we didn't have because the media is corporate media now. It is. Like, I know people. Oh, Trump says it's all like fake news actually i believe most of it is like not that all of it is fake news but there is a big influence of corporate money in our media Absolutely. there's no way around it yeah. and there are certain topics that are just off limit and there's certain ways to talk about things mm -hmm. that are acceptable and unacceptable mm -hmm. 
Israel, for example, is one of those things like uh, you got to be very careful how you walk that path, right? So I, I, I B D S. That's how I walk that path. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Boycott, divest, yeah. sanction. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's every every one of us in our own way, supporting each other, mm-hmm. being there for each other, empowering each other, empowering ourselves, being the authority of our own experience. I think that's a good thing. I do too. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm inspired by what Puerto Rico's been doing and I I hope that it it continues to inspire people and rub off here. I mean, I feel like we've gone in such a dark direction politically and globally. Uh I we do see a tendency of a pendulum swinging. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. I'm hoping it'll swing far enough in the other direction this next time around. I don't well, want I, I don't want to get back to the prophecy thing, but I have a real good feeling about 2020. Me too. I don't it's not know a big surprise to you, but, but I want to say like, oh my gosh, we better get Bernie in there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go see him when he was in LA? I wasn't I wasn't uh, able to, but I'm definitely going to go uh, next time he comes. <laughs> I, that was one of the most amazing yeah. experiences I've ever had was going to the first political rally I ever went to mm. in 2015. And my husband didn't want to go. Nobody I've only been to, to protests. I don't think I've ever been to a rally. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I want to hear this guy talk. Yeah. And I never was motivated to go to any political rally. And I was like, okay, I want to go. I'm going to make it. And I went all the way to LA on my own. And I had never felt more like safe, safer in a 40, I don't know how many thousands of people were there. Maybe it was like 30,000 people. It was a whole, They had to take a bigger venue. They literally had to move yeah. the venue because it, they had too many people had responded. And... People were courteous. People were, I walked in there. It was like a huge family. People were excited. People were, and you know, these are people that care about others. You know, these are people that understand that we need to, we need to support our, 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 our weakest ones, that we need to have a net as a society if we want everybody to rise. And we're going in a direction where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And I know he talks about that all the time. He's been talking about it for 40 years or whatever. It's the conversation it's the to truth. have. And it's, it's, it's the truth. It, I mean, and the reality of it is it's coming to a critical mass now. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, we're in late Our stage middle capital, class capitalism. Is disappearing. <laughs> and yeah. people, the, the yeah. amount of homeless in LA, it's, it's, unacceptable really it's unacceptable when i drive by and i see the tent cities i'm just like wow that used to be one little area in downtown la where you could find that every other bridge i go by has tents every other park i lived by echo park before now there's tents all over echo park and we have to something has to change we can't keep going this direction the the markets i don't know what has to happen but i definitely feel that bernie's ideas and yeah, I like Elizabeth Warren and I like other ones, but they're all taking Bernie's idea. So why not have the original if he's available? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let's yeah. see what happens. But what I, you know, one of the points that, that comes up uh, was that Bernie's ideas were crazy four years ago and, and now, now everybody's yeah. taking them, right? So I think uh, maybe like Yang's ideas of universal basic income, yeah. people are on the fence about it now, but in a couple of years, it's going to be like, oh, all the robots took our jobs. We definitely want that. <laughs> And then Marion Williamson uh, bringing love into the equation. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I love a, she... a peace department. Yeah. You know, she's she's on the fringe of the, that group, but she's yeah. introducing these ideas. And I'm, I'm I was surprised to see so many people in my social networks responding to that so favorably. Uh, it made me do it do a 
a, a, a double take and look into her a little bit more. Like, well, if, oh. if these people that I respect are are turning towards her, what what is wow. she about? Funny, and, you know, we have different friends because I saw a lot of like people making fun of her. Oh, oh no, so I had that too. I had that and too. I was like, wait, you're not seeing the big picture of what she's talking about. Yeah. She's actually looking at the root cause of all these situations. Like, she's seeing the bigger picture. That yeah. she's not just and she's talking about healing this. too. Yeah. So, like, um. I think it's really important in order to go forward to clean up what's behind you, right? Yeah, totally. So, totally. you know, like, like she's having a conversation about reparations. Yes, and huge. I haven't heard her talk too much about uh, Native Native American mm. and indigenous peoples, but I, I think I saw, you know, she took a picture with them like everybody else does. But, I, yeah, I mean, turning back at, at the genocide and yeah. the slavery yes. that, that occurred here and is continuing to occur yeah. is part and parcel with moving forward in a healthy direction. And if we don't do that, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot and going to be continuing to dig our own graves. A hundred percent. That's what I think. I, I really like I'm Tulsi Gabbard really too, to in the it, sense that she has experience with war and the way she talks about peace comes from a place of experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she's a viable candidate for mm-hmm. this time, but I definitely have my eye on her for the next election because she's young. She's a woman of color. She's smart, and the way she talks, you know, I can't be a politician because I, I get emotional. I'd be a puddle in the middle of the, um, you know, conversation. But she manages to get her point across directly and clearly. And I think peace is the direction we need to move in. I think that these we wars, need to work these together. endless wars, are a big part of why our country is suffering. Because when you look at the the GDP or whatever the GDP, the GDP, the amount of money we spend on what every year. It's ridiculous. And people are like, oh, there's no money for education. There's no money for healthcare. It's like, uh, just take a little percentage of all that money goes to war games, yeah. war games. We, we explode bombs worth of millions of dollars just as a, as a practice. Like there's practices going on right now just to practice. And they're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, that could be helping somebody that's homeless. That could be helping somebody that needs education. Like to me, that is the one of the biggest issues aside from global warming, right? I it's completely agree, war. and I think it's it's it is the global warming issue because yeah. en- endless wars yeah. are for the sake of endless profit, and oil production, and yeah. endless profit and economics are completely abstract from the human condition. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no connection whatsoever right, right. for us to base our entire network of livelihood on a system of economics that completely neglects our basic human needs and in fact exploits them and just yeah it's it's a mess and i'm glad that some of these conversations are starting to be had for so long i thought i was crazy like Mm -hmm. i I heard somebody talking about how uh perpetual cynicism kind of ends up leading to apathy when you feel helpless and that's that's where i was for a really long time until i started to incorporate self-love and start to become more solution oriented and and stop just, but I mean, I still feel like I'm a, I'm a cynical idealist. (laughs) So I'm, I'm shooting for the best and I really, I really want it to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised, (laughs) you know? Okay. I can see that. But I'm definitely an an idealist and, and I, and I do have hope for this next generation because they're, they're coming into it with so, I mean, all of the shit is exploding yeah. At their table, you know, yeah. whether it's guns in schools and the kids are doing amazing things out there. Yeah. Uh, whether it's plastic and yeah. every ounce of ice in the Arctic. <laughs> like, right. it's, it's, it's 
over the top and it's undeniable in such a way that people are actually starting to take action. And you know what? They weren't fed the American dream story mm-hmm. because it was evident to them that that wasn't the case anymore, the right? Start. Like our generation and the generation of our parents. We still had our fingers crossed. The, yeah, <laughs> there was the, the whole American dream. And there was a time in America that that was happening, that people could move up and you know, they, people could like pull themselves by the bootstraps kind of thing, which is such a bad analogy because nobody yeah. can actually do that some people don't have bootstraps but there was a time when you could actually there was upward mobility you mm-hmm. could actually study and, and give yourself a good job and raise your family and have a nice home now and the kids coming up now the 20 year olds now that i have coming from college to take class they don't they didn't grow up with that they didn't believe that because they've seen that that's not the case for them they've seen that yeah okay and i'm talking i'm in claremont I'm, i have kids that are pretty privileged and even them they see not everybody can make it all the time. And we grew up thinking, if you work hard enough, you can make it. Anybody can make it. And actually, no, that's not the case. Not everybody has the same opportunities in this country. Not everybody has the same treatment from the police or whatever. Like, there are things that need to be addressed. And that was all covered up. Mm-hmm. And our, at least when I, I know you're a little bit younger than me, but in the 80s and 90s, we believed that that wasn't the case. We believe racism was over. Oh, Kumbaya, everybody's living together. The United Colors of Benetton, you know? Well, they're playing cops on TV and just <laughs> right. creating fear. And, right. Yeah. And we, we didn't have cell phones with cameras that were showing us the cop beating the lady or yeah. firing and shooting and they, the they black made a point that we didn't see away. after Vietnam, right? They made it illegal yeah. to show caskets with yes. the flags so we don't see them now and, yes. you know, so what they report on. So that has been huge. Mm-hmm. I think the internet yeah. really has been a big opener you know when i first facebook people are like oh i hate facebook I, I'm like i live in puerto rico i mean i live in the california my family's in puerto rico my yeah. other family's in texas and all over the country i would be so and i was for many years when i didn't have something like facebook or snapchat or not even snapchat i use um whatsapp a lot um i didn't have that connection i wouldn't talk to my cousins for five years like i would see them like oh how are you doing and the fact that i can actually know like my cousin just started her new class you know, yesterday and she's doing well. That's huge to me. The fact that the net can stay connected, that mm-hmm. we know what our friends are doing. We know what people are doing. I think that's huge. I really, it gives me hope. I think if we didn't have that, I'd be much more cynical. But the fact that there is a way for people to connect and reach out and get together and organize, huge. So that's why we have to protect that. I agree with you. Yeah. I also think it's tricky because it's it's a neutral principle, right? It's it's the internet, it's it's connectivity at yes. all levels. You happen to be a proactive person who's looking for those positive outlooks and looking to build connection versus mm. separation. But right. not it, not it not everybody has that yeah, much yeah. willpower, right? That's why you have that Cambridge Analytica, right? right. Their their whole model was to find those who were impressionable and and push them in the direction right. that they wanted, which was towards Trump and towards Brexit. Right. So the internet is, you know, it can go go either way. So we we have to continue trying to promote positive means. Right. (laughs) Right. And definitely, I mean, I do think like we all spend way too much time on social media more than I should. And but it's it's a price I'm willing to pay to feel connected. It's amazing to see, you know, like uh, the, the, the movements that can arise through social media. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes countries will put the squash on it because people are using it to to revolt right, and right. and whatnot. So the the collective power that it, it, it does for us in, in giving us that network is is powerful. And, and hopefully, sangha. yeah, it's the Sangha, <laughs> it's the community. It's, you know, like spiritual warriors. And, and I, I really hope that we can rise up and do something about it because... 
so I, I wanted to bring up the topic of decolonization because yeah. we were, or, you know, post-colonial attitude because you're from Puerto Rico. So I think you have a unique view on what it means to be colonized, but also there's an ongoing conversation in the yoga community yes. about decolonizing yoga and using it appropriately and honoring the traditions that it came from. And, you know, you have the Mick mindfulness thing where we're taking mindfulness away from like all of the, the, the network that it was built into to right. have the support system and not giving people the warning that it, it's not always positive. <laughs> you get quiet, the dark stuff comes up. <laughs> you know, people are freaking out. They're not taking, you know, if, if you're, you haven't handled your mental health, like, and you sit, do too much meditation, it's intense. And anyway, uh, so I think in looking to the future and how we can better ourselves as a population that has inherited the pa the past, we, I'm seeing many people turn towards more natural means. I mean, like, uh, it, I haven't heard much about it lately, but for like a good decade, you had like the homesteaders. People were heading back to like buying their own land and farming right. and learning to live off the land again. Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky conversation, but I think turning towards indigenous ways and means, not necessarily adopting anybody's culture or, or, or anything, but like turning towards more natural ways of being in harmony with the earth that have been given to us as an example by numerous populations that ultimately were right. squashed. squashed. But, yeah. but the example is there of how to live with the earth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, it's not for lack of knowledge. It's, it's a very willful neglect i think mm -hmm. because it doesn't make money necessarily mm -hmm. to live i mean maybe now because you can market yourself as like the how yeah. to live in the yeah. land or whatever but i feel like it with industrialization industrialization created this mentality of like okay the more we can make machines and make machines do things and like our lives will be more comfortable like the 50s oh everybody has a microwave everybody has a car and i think that we inevitably pulled away from living in nature but like you say about the pendulum i do see that coming mm -hmm. back and i do think that it, it's a natural desire of humans to like have some ground right you yeah. see you see these pictures of uh, we've been looking at uh, repainting our house and you see these pictures of like redone backyards and it's all cement i'm like oh my <laughs> gosh like how do people live like this i need a yeah. little bit of ground and a little bit of like dirt um so i think human instinct will kick in at some point and it's happening i think that's happening, happening. now because yeah. we've put ourselves on this this hamster wheel of live to earn earn to live live to earn earn to live and we we're not living yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you call that living right like yeah. back back to the earth and that's why you know you see things happening uh doctors are prescribing forest time yeah, <laughs> things like this back to nature and yeah and many people know that that's healing yeah but uh yeah, it's not for a lack of knowledge. It's too much knowledge. We have been like <laughs> over overstimulated with with yeah. too many new ways of of being well, and so that's why you know natural medicine is called alternative medicine, right? And like uh, chanting mantras is called new age music. So <laughs> you know, funny. these are the old old ways of doing it, and all this this modern medicine and these modern practices are right. are the new the new things, right? Goodness gracious! And that was also you know kind of by design absolutely yeah yeah they were like mentally, oh yeah oh you're a 
quack if you practice acupuncture or whatever like yeah so that is beautiful to see that that's coming back even doctors nowadays are saying go do some yoga go you know sit in the ocean for a bit and, and it's slowly <laughs> seeping in because it's, they can't deny it but they they uh, well, it's, lot, I, think, I think honestly, I think slowly. a lot of doctors, doctors themselves, their interest is to help people, right? I do believe that. I think that it's the industry they're a part of, yes, and the the perks and the information that well, they who, can, who's training them exactly who's training right. them, and it's like the whole thing about learning and unlearning, right? Like once yes. you learn something, it's very hard to unlearn it, but. Uh, <laughs> pe- experience itself is the best teacher and they i think they are coming to that realization i'm like oh yeah just putting someone in an empty clinical looking room is that going to help them have like a healing experience so hospitals are now including plants and views and things like that so i do think that in general we have amazing humans that are doctors and humans yes and and the the system behind that which includes the pharmaceuticals and the insurance companies, right? That's why Medicare for all, like, let's get that middleman out of the way because they're only there to make money. And how do you make money when people are sick? Exploitation. Exactly. It's so ridiculous. Profit margins. And it's insane. It's insane. insane. Yeah. When you have a yacht for your yacht, you have too much money. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. All right, so the future is looking good. That's yes. what that's what we're saying. We're yes. coming out of this 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 dark period. Don't give up hope. Stay active. Stay present. Yeah. So people always talk about it being the Kali Yuga, the Dark Ages. Yeah. But like Swami uh, Sri Yukteswar, um, Paramahansa Yogananda's teacher, he's like, no, we're in, we're we're coming up on the Golden Age. Like we're we're in the Dwarpa Yuga. Like it's it's we're moving towards something better actually like they used to so say I, the just gonna, of the age of on. Aquarius yeah yeah <laughs> it's happening it's shifting and philosophy yeah it's shifting it's it, big things are popping I feel it I feel it I feel like and I feel like what you said before about the the Sangha stayed with me because each one of us makes a difference each mm-hmm. one of us is important don't think that you what your little contribution is is not enough your the way you interact with people, the way you are at your job, the way just how you drive, being courteous, being aware, not not just like go on me first. That alone can make a huge difference, and I see that happening more and more. So I feel like each one of us has a role to play. Mm-hmm. We're not invisible beings. I mean, you can be, but every single voice counts. Yeah, that it reminds me of the thing I said earlier about the flow state. Yeah. And making my life a flow state. And so I don't want to get too far into it, but in working with the role that my intention and imagination uh, plays in my life, uh, it, it's starting to blur the line between the inside and the outside. I We can use cheesy new age jargon to say we're all one or right. or you know uh, you are me and things like this on on some levels but uh on a deeper level it starts to it starts to become apparent that that's it's not such a platitude no and I... that it is actually what's happening and the kinder i am to you the kinder i feel towards myself and and, and the the ripple effect of spreading love instead of yes. leaning into the fear and anger and inclusivity and, and yeah all that we're talking about i really feel like in that sense that's the major difference with the people that we see that we're like are they psychopaths like why don't they care about the poor why don't they care about other people and only care about their health care and their and i think it's the difference between understanding that you are a part of everyone that everyone is connected to you 
and not. If you think it's just you and you're an individual and you're separate from everything else, then it makes sense that they behave that they, like that way. But selfishness becomes not as practical when you know that hurting that person is, is somehow going to affect you in some way, you know, and that helping other people is going to come back to you. I don't believe in karma in the way that, oh, it, you know, every act is going to have a response. I feel like, yeah, there's a cause and effect and there's a, a response. And what you put out there is what you're reflected back. Um, and so I definitely feel like that's one of the major things that is going to shift the consciousness of the planet is when more and more people awaken to the reality that we are all one, that it is all part of one system, that we're not just a whole bunch of different countries. That's why it's so hard for me to talk about the independence of Puerto Rico, because I would like to see a global country. Like, I don't want I and people to go agree. globalism. I'm like, no. well, you know what? I would like to see all countries disappear and just humans it's one planet. It's just, it's just, I mean, we only have I know one that's planet. very idealistic and whatever, but I do. When, when the I, aliens show up, then we might get some solidarity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, it's us against them. Got it. Okay. Exactly. I mean, we just, like, the us versus them mentality is so ingrained. Yeah. We, I think we might have to have some bigger other to gain the solidarity. I mean, and it yet, seems like we have the climate change as an issue that should bring us together, though. That, that should. It should. But education, people are not really well educated, and there was so much miseducation for so long. Then. Well, I mean, okay, so I, I got into Naomi Klein a little bit. I don't know oh, if yeah, you know her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this Buddhist social ethics class. And, and she talks about how in the 90s, we, we thought that climate change was going to be the thing that brought us together. And the same time we had the climate change talks, we had the, the world trade talks. Yeah. And every time something big came up, trade trumped climate. Yeah. And, and it just, it's, it, it kept, yeah, so it's it's the trade and the economic thing that that stifled the movement in the '90s and 2000s, and so now we're here with like, oh, everything's melting faster than we thought it was. We better act now, right. act now, act now. But, but it all comes to yeah, the economic so, interest of a few is trumping yeah. the well-being of the whole planet. We just forgot how good the rich taste. <laughs> That's all it is. They're just delicious. Oh my gosh! <laughs> all right, so we've been going for a little while, so yeah. maybe we'll just power through a little bit more here. So I um. Maybe we'll lighten it up a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about art and mm. creative expression. So you express yourself creatively, I'm sure, in a myriad of ways, one of which is you like to make jewelry. I do. And you have an Etsy shop where you sell some of it. I haven't been selling on Etsy as much. Okay. I have an Instagram page, and ah, okay. I, I have been really bad about putting stuff up, I have to ah. admit. But I love making it. I love doing it, and I bring it to my students. And I share it when I can. But yeah, if you get, want to follow my Instagram, it's Monica Muñiz Jewelry. Nice. And nice. that's my, my handle. Um, I, I'm i not a great business person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's art. You have your yeah. other means of making money. It's, it's, right. it's exactly. not It's not your breadwinner. Really, so you, you yeah. have that, that liberty to There was a time that I was working on my website and then I ended up not being able to do it, like postponing it. And then I didn't end up making jewelry for almost a year. So my New Year's resolution that year was to forget the website and just make jewelry for the love of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like how I kind of go into my own flow state, right? Like when yeah. I'm looking at the stones, I feel connected to the earth and the metals and playing with that. To me, it's very cathartic and, and, and yeah, it's creative. It's a creative outlet. So I love it. Do you have other outlets for creativity, artistic expression? I love to dance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a dancer. I wish I could sing. Not not there, but uh, <laughs> but I sing along when I dance, mm -hmm. and I love to move my body. Um, other than that, I'm not a great 
drawer or painter. Oh my gosh, my brothers both got both got that talent. I can't even write nicely. <laughs> I have no like, <laughs> m- you know, mind hand coordination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but I like any any. Yeah, creative, like, manual dexterity thing as opposed to, like, drawing or something like that. Yeah. It's fun for me, yeah. Nice. But. Yeah, I've, in listening to myself and what's coming up, I'm, I realize I've got a deep need to have a creative outlet. Mm. I started noticing, like, uh, if I get a little assignment to make a little sign or some, one of the kids wants me to help with their projects, you know, I got nephews at home and a niece, um, last year I worked in a fifth grade classroom for the whole semester. We, we haven't talked to you about that. I, yeah, I was a teacher's aide wow. in LAUSD. So I got to go out to the protests with the teachers Aww, and march in solidarity with the teachers. Awesome. And I had an amazing year doing that. Um, but I get all into the kids projects cause I'm like, oh, cause I, I, in the past haven't been giving myself my own artistic outlet, ah. you know, and I like to do some writing and I, I express myself creatively in writing. And sometimes I use fancy handwriting, but to like make art, like I'm not a good drawer either. I once upon a time when I was grounded a lot as a kid, I practiced and I actually got better. So like we talked about, it's something you can improve. Right, right, right. But my, my natural uh, tendency is to want to like make clip art. Ah. So I took this, I took this art class with this uh, amazing uh, teacher last semester and we had to make an art book. And so I, I started, you know, cut out other pictures and I made my own art and then I, I made a poem for each one that went with it. Wow. And uh, it goes with this flow state thing. It's like the listening. And so it was a like a one unit class. So it was a very minimal amount of effort. She's like, okay, just finish this many pages by the end of the semester, but it's just one per week. So I didn't, okay. I didn't have like a, a, a timeline for it. I just had to get them all done. So I could, whenever I spontaneously felt some energy, it's like, oh, I'm going to be creative right now. Or if I'm like sp- Thumbing through a magazine, like, oh, that, like, something's coming to me. I want to cut that out. And I love that. opening up that floodgate or that little gate, that outlet, letting that energy flow, so to speak, of creativity bled into my openness and how I moved about mm. in other places in my life. Mm. So I, I learned from that that I was definitely underestimating giving myself the outlets that I need. So we all have a lot of different things we need to do to express ourselves, whether right. it's communication or right. exercise or different things to, to have our, our physical and emotional needs met. And a creative outlet is something that I, I, I think I thought that artist was a dirty word for so long. Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> like I How thought come? that oh, maybe people who want to be artists aren't taking life seriously enough. <laughs> Uh, you know, like uh, for so long, yeah. you know, growing up in L.A., like so I met so many actors like yeah. I was just like, they're all just narcissists. Ah. And then like one of my friends, she's she's she does theater and, and all this amazing local art. And she said, you know what? I I can explore facets of my own personality through my roles that I could never do in any other way or I right. haven't been able to. Huge. And for me at that point, something shifted and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. like. It's it's there's something else to this. It's not just about getting attention. Oh my gosh! No, it's like, a it's the human experience. For it's, me, acting was like embodying the, the absolutely. It's a microcosm yeah. of the macrocosm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, was a fun part of it for me. The nice. auditioning, not so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's industry, right? Like I enjoyed making those pieces of art, but if my life depended on selling them, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be so much fun anymore. <laughs> That's why this podcast is a labor of love. This yeah. is being brought to you commercial free. Yes. <laughs> 
for the time just being. Just for the love of it. <laughs> just because we love to talk to each other. It's yeah. so nice to spend some time with you. I know. It's 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 so great. Uh, that's one of the other cool things that's been happening for me with this podcast, uh, getting to reach out to all my friends who are movers and shakers and doing cool things. I realized that uh, the last three years I've been in school, I've kind of been neglecting my, my, my social community and only yeah. touch base with like some people sometimes like right. we saw each other a year or two ago i was right, here right, you know? right. so much has happened so um i'm i'm thoroughly enjoying reconnecting with people and connecting with you in this moment that is beautiful cool 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 all right so you got your jewelry you give people your instagram we'll have links to all that stuff at okay. the bottom of the page also you are you have a retreat coming up a yoga <laughs> retreat do you want to talk about oh that gosh. a little bit well it's the first yoga retreat i've ever done uh, my friend Setare Direction. She's a neurologist chiropractor and she does a lot of work with emotional release therapy and um, hypnotherapy. So she wanted to do something that included yoga and we're close friends. We're like, okay, let's do it. So we're going to be doing a retreat in Spain, in Granada. We're going to be there June 6th through June 12th of 2020. And uh, I don't have a, I mean, I guess if you follow me on my Instagram, I'll post about it there. So yep. my name, my Instagram handle is Monica I Muniz. I think that's my. Instagram. All right, we'll get the links. Even, yeah, put yeah, up people, people can check the show there. notes. Um, but uh, I am excited about that because at first she's a she's amazing. She, my friend is like just brilliant and inspiring. And she, you know, we, we like each other because we're both kind of like mirrors of each other. And she's like, oh, my gosh, we got to just like help people like find their joy and live how we live. And I was like, no, 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 no. We can't tell anybody how to live. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm just figuring out how to live myself. Like, I'm, I'm not a, th a authority on anybody else's experience. So we both came to the realization that we just need to make it a wonderful week. We're going to do some yoga, some meditation, have some breath work. They'll have individual sessions with her to do the hypnotherapy and the emotional release work. And then go explore Granada and go yeah. see the Albaicin and go see the Alhambra. And I've always wanted to go to the Alhambra. I went go, to yeah. Alhambra High School. I've always wanted yeah. to go there. <laughs> We're going to so go great. see some flamenco dance nice. and, and just explore another country. I'm very excited about That's that. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm really happy yeah. for you. So I know since yeah. I've known you, our mutual yoga friends have been trying to encourage you yeah. to, to do this retreat thing because yeah. we all we all see you as, as yeah. fulfilling this role. Yeah, we, we love having you as a yoga teacher. Oh, thank you. You know, I have to say that for so long, I've stayed in that idea that, you know, I'm not trying to be the Instagram yoga person. I'm not trying to expand my reach. I'm not somebody that's traveling the world doing trainings. And there was a time in the past that I felt bad about that. I was like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I I just love the one-on-one -on -one connection with people. And the small studio where people come day in, day out. I get to see them. I get to know them. I, I love that so much. That I feel like I gravitated towards that for a long time. And I'm finally, I'm like, okay. Maybe I need to just open myself up to it, even if I'm not forcing or trying to make. But I've been feeling lately that maybe there's another step there. Mm -hmm. So I opened a Monica Muniz Yoga Instagram account. It has one picture on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure maybe when steps. I'm going to put something in there. But I'm like, okay, I even if I'm just sharing about like how to circle your wrist, you know, because I do think the Instagram is saturated with yoga people doing fancy poses and it's beautiful. I love it. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy learning from people there. I follow several beautiful, strong, like in, um, super informative teachers. But at the same time, I don't see a lot for like the everyday 
folk you know mm-hmm. i don't see a lot of that so that's my direction that i'm going to take it on so I like, like that. so like my mom my i mean not because my mom is older but like i'm just saying anybody can do it right mm-hmm. awesome i love it yeah. i'll be subscribing oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> cool so i i'd like to wind down now can sure. i ask you some questions not necessarily related to your uh qualifications quote unquote yeah sure <laughs> so i've been kind of playing like i mentioned with intuition and intention and imagination and creativity and how that plays out into the real world and we can get into that a little bit more maybe when we're done recording but i i'm just wondering if you how, like how does intuition show up in your life <laughs> how mm. how do you know when to listen to an urge Mm, good question. You know, because yeah. sometimes I, you know, I feel like, is it my gut flora just mm-hmm. telling me I want ice cream, <laughs> or do, or should I really just get up and go for a walk? Right? <laughs> like, what? Where are these urges coming from? Ah, right. You know, and I, I think you and I both maybe share some sense of like uh, the God is all things, <laughs> Pan- right. some panentheism, like everything outside is also inside, and right. and so this idea of intuition for me, it's. It's not coming from an outside source, right? right. Some people say, "Oh, it's the voice of God" or no, yeah, <laughs> something, yeah, yeah. and and yeah, maybe it is, but it doesn't mean that it's not also my internal voice, right? And so I'm I'm learning to listen more, and as I learn to listen, I have had a severe increase in synchronicities. That's what I was gonna say. Synchronicity is a big one for me. Predicting the future in extremely specific ways. Oh wow! That, and I don't know. now I'm starting to through this other podcast. He's really going over imaginal techniques and how you you can influence the future by imagining the scene or imagining the scene to have reached completion. And weird stuff is happening, as it's been said. So, wow. uh, I, yeah, I'm always curious to hear about how other people are are leaning into or working with intuition and intention, creativity. Do you have anything? I yeah, synchronicity is a big one for me. When I find that things are, you know, oh, I was just thinking of this, and then I saw this. Okay, it makes me look a little bit deeper. Or if somebody mentions a book or something and I look at it, I'm like, oh, I was just thinking about that. Like, I I feel like where I am, things show up when I need them, right? So that to me is intuition. We're being open to whatever others or I see something on the internet even. Like, I just pick up on where I've been, what I have been thinking or feeling. And if it lines up with something that shows up, then that tells me look deeper into that. Um, for the most part, I tend to leave myself alone a lot, like with, uh, with meditation or breath work, or I, I'm more of an, of a listener rather than, I'm, I have a friend, I love her so much, Hagar. She's a manifester, right? She's like, she's like, I want this, I'm going to make it happen. And, and I've never been like that. Like, I, I wish I was in some ways, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, we, we talked before about contentment and I've always had, I'm so lucky that I've always had a little bit of an underlying current of contentment contentment in my life. I don't have a huge um, motor behind me, like desiring and wanting more. Like, that's why it's so easy for me to be like, oh, I'm okay where I am, you know? And and th- so there's a good side of that. And then the side of it, like, well, there's more. You can do more if you want. So I, I have to work hard to create intention in my life. And for a 
good five, six years, my intention has been to be of service. And I just go back to that. I'm like, is this an opportunity to be a service? And and opportunities arise. So just when you put yourself out, you're like, okay, universe, I'm willing to be of service. And like we talked before, I wasn't sure what that meant. Even when that when that arose in me and I felt that, because, I mean, we didn't talk about this, but I went through 10 years of trying to get pregnant and not getting pregnant and infertility and all these things that I thought my life was going to be a certain way and then it didn't turn out that way. And I came to that understanding that really I just want to be of service. And even like to what? Well, to the love, to the the light, to the people around me, to whoever shows up in front of me. And that's what to me guides me is in this moment, hey, I have an opportunity to be of service. Somebody needs something. Somebody, I, I'm going to rise up and do that. And that to me is my guide. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love Thank that. you. All right. I want to ask you one more question and then sure. we'll get out of here. What is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Oh, my gosh. Or beautiful experience you've ever had or place or? That's a big question, Anthony. <laughs> one of the most beautiful or a life-changing event. Well, you know what? I'm going to go back to when I was six years old. Sure. That's a great time. That's my favorite age. I've got a niece right now who's oh, six. Yeah. And let oh me just say, gosh. like, I think that's my favorite age for a kid. They get an attitude at seven <laughs> that is a little more independent. Right. A little five, they're a little goofy. But she's smart and, like, still innocent. Six is awesome. So what was your moment at six? I will say I've seen so many amazing things and beautiful things in my whole life. I'm, I'm not, I can't put it into words. But when I was six, I think for I, I knew somebody that died for the first time. I had this uh, – there was, it was like a friend of the family – and I got to see him in the casket. And that was a big impact. I mean, to see somebody that I knew that a week before I'd seen walking around and talking and then he, he was dead. And that, I guess, made an impression on me. And maybe several months later or something, I had this dream where there, I was in space, but there was no stars, there was no planets, there was no anything. And all I felt was this like, expansive spiraling energy of joy inside myself of like bliss you know what people call bliss like i was so happy and content and and full that's where the contentment comes totally totally (laughs) i was just like oh my gosh and i i remember the moment in my dream where i realized wait there's no stars wait there's no planet wait where am i i'm on my bed i have i have to get back to my bed and i like came to my bed and i woke up and in that moment of waking up, I had the knowing that that's what happens when you die. Wow. And when I knew that, it gave me freedom. I was like, oh, I don't have to be afraid of this thing called death. Like, it's going to be amazing. I just, I, I'm here to live. I don't have to worry about it. I have to think about it. I, when it happens, it's going to happen. But, but can I just, I wanted to come back. I, I also wanted to come back. I wanted to live my life. So there was a sense of ownership of my life. Like, oh, yeah, wait, I want to be here. So that has always stayed with me. That's amazing. That is really an unexpected answer. I was expecting oh. some kind of a view or something, but <laughs> a, a, a beautiful understanding of death. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're That's welcome. amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, was, this has uh, been awesome. It was totally unexpected when you wrote to me about interviewing me, and I've never been interviewed by anyone about my life. Uh, I was a little nervous, but I was like, you know, I love Anthony. I love talking to him. Let's just talk. Yeah. So this thank has been you great. for making it so comfortable and fun. Absolutely. Thank it's you. been my pleasure. All right, Monica. Bye-bye. Namaste.
Alright, how much fun was that? Wow, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find Monica on Instagram at Monica Munez Yoga. Or if you're in the Los Angeles area, out in the San Gabriel Valley, you can drop in for a class at The Yoga Cove in Monrovia or Hot Yoga Claremont. I'd love to get any feedback in the form of a review, a comment, or an email at aflareforthecurious at gmail.com. I thought we covered a lot of ground and that there were so many good gems in there. We didn't get into yoga in the era of Me Too or decolonizing yoga as much as I had hoped, but if these topics interest you, I definitely encourage you to look into them. There's so much exciting, progressive work going on right now. I also want to say thanks again to Mike for the sweet tunes and for that delicious dinner that we had after recording the episode. You guys are one of my favorite couples. And as always, I invite you to please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. It only takes a few seconds and would really help us out. If you've got an extra minute, you can also write a written review. As a reminder, this episode was brought to you commercial-free, but I am a full-time student who works a part-time job and produces this show with my spare time and money, which is minimal. So if you'd like to support the show, you can make a contribution at aflareforthecurious.com through PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, Patreon, or Zelle. All donations will go directly to the cost of maintaining and improving this podcast. Be sure to subscribe because we've got a lot of exciting guests coming up. On the next episode, we talk to actor, writer, and filmmaker Mike Baez about making his first feature-length film, Stift, acting for Troma Studios and working with Lloyd Kaufman, writing comedy and scripts, and a bunch of other topics guaranteed to tickle your curiosity. You won't want to miss this one. All right, friends, episode two is in the can. I hope you got something good out of it. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, stay curious, never stop asking questions, and keep your heart open. Peace.